Yeah, we love Ted Lasso. And this is the podcast to the show. You can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. I am your host, Coach Castleton. With me are Coach Bishop. What's good? And our boss, Emily Chambers. My karaoke song is a death rock version of Goodbye Earl. <laughs> is that your is that your go-to karaoke song? Yes, unfortunately. It's become a thing now. I did it once as a joke, and now it's what my friends request. So uh, I did one time win a $25 gift certificate to TGI Fridays because I did it so well. So Yeah, you did. Well, damn. Hell yeah. $25. It was a pity. It was definitely a pity. Oh, but, give that poor. I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> hey, gift certificate, gift certificate. Today, we are talking about Ted Lasso, Season 1, Episode 7, Make Rebecca Great Again. Story by Joe Kelly and Brennan Hunt. And this one is written by Jason Sudeikis himself. Uh, no, yeah, written, written by Jason Sudeikis himself and directed by Declan Lowney. Now, um, one thing I want to say about this is in research, we're on, we're on Episode 7 here. In researching this show, it basically was Brennan Hunt and, and Sudeikis and Joe Kelly. And they're cracking the the story around, you know, for eight years or so. Jeez. And Bill Lawrence comes in to tie the bow up in 2018. And we finally get that they shoot it, I think, in 2019. And we get to see it in 2020. So it's a long process. But the person I'm going to give most of the credit to is Joe Kelly. And that's because I don't know who Joe Kelly is. <laughs> <laughs> but how many times have people in Hollywood, you get a group of friends and they all sort of work together. And then Sudeikis gets to be Ted Lasso and Brendan Hunts gets to be Coach Beard. What, what about poor Joe Kelly? What did he ever do? Who, who's, who's punch did he pee in that he doesn't get to be anybody? <laughs> and so. Draw that stirs the drink. Yeah. I think he's Yoda. I'm just guessing he is the, he's the prime mover behind everything. So. Anytime you hear me talk about Ted Lasso from now on, I'm going to be just just tipping my cap to Joe Kelly, wherever he is. Let's start out with Nate opening over black and saying, no, no, no. What do we start out with, uh, boss? How does it how does the show the, this episode start out? Episode seven. Make Rebecca great again. For an episode that's about making Rebecca great again, it starts with Nate uh, loading the luggage onto the bus and yelling at the players because they're doing it the wrong way. And as he's diving into the underneath of the bus, whatever the hell that's called, uh, luggage hold, I guess. Sure. Um, he, he starts moving things around and gets pushed back to the back of it with everybody else's luggage. He's trying so hard to be in charge and they're not paying attention to the extent that they throw their luggage at him and get on the bus. And now he's stuck there. I, I used to have my dad's my dad had a factory when I was growing up and there used to be a, a thing on the wall where it was one of these terrible things that they used to pass around in corporate America. And it would say, every man's work is a, is a portrait of himself. And it was a guy painting a house and then accidentally painting the face of the homeowner who was looking out the window because he wasn't paying attention to what he was doing. Mm. And, and uh, it's terrible. Mm. It's terrible. It's just awful. I don't know how this 
business got started where they just would send up these inspirational posters. Um, but people <laughs> bought them. Apparently, my dad was a sucker enough to buy it. Knowing him, he got it free and just put it up. But um, I was thinking about that when Nate's like takes pride and like, no, 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 you know that you can't have it like this way. It's got to be, you know, you got to put this back. And he's like talking it out, like how with the plan, and then and then in a sign of like his status on the team, he's just consigned to the the, the underbelly oh, of the pub. It's such a so dehumanizing. So Ted, we cut to Ted talking to Henry. On FaceTime. And do you guys buy that that Henry knows all the names of the Beatles? I 100% buy it because if Ted loves the Beatles, if, if, if Ted can get you excited enough about double-decker buses that you'd rather sit in the living room and build one out of Legos <laughs> rather than go out and see one, I totally buy that he could get you to be into the Beatles and then, you know, that's where you'd be. I, I've, had, I've had not that experience with the Beatles, but making a, a biggie reference to my son and having him look at me like, yeah, I know was one of the <laughs> yeah. most wonderful moments in my life. Although, you know, not so great that he thinks I'm a shithead at this point in my life, but he, but yeah, he, like they, they grew up around me. Of course they know the biggie lyrics. They know all the biggie lyrics, the ones they should know and the ones they shouldn't. So yeah, I, I bought it. I, I totally bought it. Yeah. No fathers have a disproportionate amount of influence over their children. <clears throat> with regard to pop culture for sure uh, i know like uh my children will will like roll their eyes when i quote certain movies and but now i catch them quoting them back to me so yeah uh, uh, so, it's so the, who won in the end it's the godfather around. i mean yeah it's the godfather around here my daughter definitely has heard enough about michael corleone's wisdom for a lifetime I uh, uh, go ahead bon and I was just going to say, I uh, it didn't even occur to me to consider that he wouldn't know who the Beatles are, in mm. part because I have a video of my uh, three-year-old niece at the time being asked who her favorite Beatles are, and very cutely, because she was naive and sweeter than I am, saying George and Ringo. Aww. Which, nobody's favorite Beatles are George and Ringo, Ralph is. <laughs> um, but also, I was preoccupied that uh, Ted's screensaver was Arthur Bryan's Barbecue in Kansas City. Because it's never nice. too far away from them. Nice. Did not catch that. Look at you. I guess I'll have to watch it another 10 times. <laughs> I literally watched it four times this morning, so I might just be primed on it. Nice. Uh, boss, I'm pretty surprised that a blood relative of yours would be a natural contrarian and pick the most obscure member of any group. <laughs> Gee, that is shocking. Wow. <laughs> What a mental stretch. <laughs> Give me a second here. I'm going to have to accept that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Coach Beard is the hottest guy on the show. Of course. See, there you go. Uh, I did not um, buy the Beatle, that, that, that Henry knew the Beatle references, um, but it's okay. It's fine. This is a nearly perfect show. I will get you using a child as a prop to, to throw out, to do a Keith Richards murder joke, which I'm not really sure. <laughs> Not a hundred percent sure I got that joke, but I like that that Beard is in on it. Do you guys want to explain that to me? Do you have that at all, boss? Oh, I have none of that. I just mm -hmm. assumed that everybody thinks Keith Richards is secretly a vampire of some sort. I'd be willing to buy that. Is he not? Right, I'm, I'm confused by this whole. Yeah, piece. I don't know. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not. Again, not not a leap of of uh, mental <laughs> leap on this show so far. So, okay. Michelle hops on FaceTime. And well, now hold we on. Before the, you go to yeah, that, yeah, I, think yeah, that yeah. I think this is really important in that 
Beard has to give Ted the wrap it up signal. Like he has to like play him off the, the phone call. And I think that's important because it's very similar to the role he played when we first saw them arrive and they're heading to work on the first day and he gets drawn into watching the kids play and, and Beard has to tell him, all right, it's time to go coach. He's so deeply in the moment that one of Beard's key roles in their partnership is to keep him aware that like time actually continues on. Like I know you are here in this moment so fully you yeah. don't notice it, but we got it. We got to go coach. So I thought that was significant here. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And that's a great point. Yeah, no, I think it's good. They love bookends in this show. So um, there's a, quite a few in this episode. That's a good mm-hmm. call out coach. Um, all right. So uh, Michelle reminds him, Hey, you got to sign the papers. He's got him right here. Uh, she says, Hey, good luck. It seems like very affable. And then he closes the laptop and stares at the envelope, and we get the sense that he is not a hundred percent committed <laughs> to this to this uh, trajectory. So mm-hmm. uh, we immediately cut from there uh, the shot of him looking at the envelope to a subjective shot of someone looking at a MacBook screen. And what do we see there, boss? We see Rebecca looking at the happy anniversary email from her local florist. Because they apparently did not take her off of their mailing list. And we talk a lot about, you know, how great everybody's, you know, facial expressions are and how, you know, how they do so much without saying it. That sigh that she does when she looks away from her screen and looks out the window, it was like, I mean, we don't have to say how much Hannah Waddingham's killing it, like just just killing it. But like, that was a powerful sigh and we really get it. And right away, the mood is broken as Keely enters. And what happens from there, boss? Oh, Keely just hits on her blatantly in a a super great way. She basically says, thanks for inviting me along on this girl's weekend. I can't wait to blow off the steam and have some wicked sex with my new friend. Surprising, uh, for this show, I guess, surprisingly a lot to unpack in that, that um, it, it, she it says she'd be willing to dip her toe back into the lady pond, but she's going to do it with Rebecca. She doesn't seem to be thrown off at all at the idea of having sex with a close friend of hers. That's just something maybe you're going to try out. Uh, Rebecca, on the other hand, is a little bit worried that Keely might have gotten the wrong idea. Uh, she doesn't want to hurt Keely's feelings. She's not offended, but that's unfortunately not the way that the weekend is going to be headed. And so the tension is luckily very broken when Keely says, I'm fucking with you and does it in a way that can tell you can tell she wasn't doing that to cover her tracks because she mistakenly yeah. hit, hit on her brand new best friend. Right. She actually. Yeah, met she was it. fucking with her. Right. Wow. I thought you were being serious. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, I have. <laughs> when she that. <laughs> Slayed me. I'm just going to start yeah. calling those pause jokes. Like those of you who've been uh, listening to episodes will know that they're just some jokes where I just have to pause the show and have my laugh and then rejoin them. And that was a pause joke because the look, there was this moment with Rebecca where she like that part's not a joke. That part's not Keely fucking with it. As, as yes. I heard it, at least that was like, oh, wow. And I just it just killed me. Um, and reminded me of several conversations where women I know one way or another were uh, informed that men in their lives might just think from time to time about having sex with them. And just how <laughs> aghast I've watched women be as the guys all around the table suddenly start staring at their water glasses. Um, 
So yeah, I thought that was great. I just thought this was a great moment. <laughs> it's like, hey, you fall asleep your way, I'll fall asleep mine. Who am I hurting? Oh, that's great. I love that so much. I, 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 um, I have said before in groups of friends, usually only among women, though, very rarely do I have to actually acknowledge this with outside dudes. And since apparently everybody here is now uh, an inside dude, um, the women <laughs> that I know, uh, I, myself and the women I know, um, we usually can tell within a about 60 seconds if we are going to be sexually interested in a person or not. Mm-hmm. But both uh, all across the gender spectrum, there's just sometimes our minds can be changed. It's not that you always 100% go with that, but there's very often a, yeah, no, I would. And I think that women don't get to express that often enough. Like mm-hmm. it, it's not even, I, I think that there's a weird way that. Sometimes if it comes from a guy towards a woman, then it could be seen as threatening and a little bit just because predominantly sexual violence is from men towards women. And so that makes right. it weird and awkward for both parties. But women do do the same thing. We, we think the same things. We're just not always as open about saying it. And so I liked a lot that Keely was like, oh, yeah, no, no, I have thought about it. I think there's a component of it, and we don't have to go too far down this hole because it's a lot in this episode, but I think, too, um, guys are either trained to or predisposed to, depending on who you're asking or talking to, um, starting with the default of yes, <laughs> and then working their way to maybe not, or even, geez, what went wrong? No, in terms of whether you'd have sex with someone. So I think the assumption, yeah, there's like a built-in, like, well, of course, like she would, there's no way she'd be shocked if... Any mem- male member of AFC Richmond, she found out, imagined having. Like, I don't think she'd be nearly as like thrown off by the fact that that, that she was informed of that. Yeah. Maybe disgusted, but not thrown off. Yeah, it, you know it, it. It isn't a foreign concept that men start in the yes position and then it changes. Um, I'm thinking now, and I hope none of them are listening. So I apologize to my friends that I'm. Re- referencing so many stories, but uh, there was a time at a bar after many drinks where a guy friend attempted to make one of our female friends who he had accidentally implied was sort of boyish, uh, made her feel better by saying, you're not a boy when I masturbate to you. So (laughs) that is amazing. And the thing is it worked. Because after that, she's like, oh, oh, okay. And we could get into all of those dynamics there because I think that this episode has a lot of it. But yeah, that's that's always the, you're not a boy when I masturbate to you. Oh. So he's... I'd, I'd like that to be a bonus episode of this podcast, if we could. Oh. I'd like that to be the name of it. You're not a boy when I masturbate <laughs> to you. Like that's... Mm, that is delectable. So uh, Higgins pops in. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. For those of you just joining the game already in progress, <laughs> uh, Higgins pops in and to, to perfectly time, the perfect timing to, to, to sort of put a button on the, Oh, I have moment. Um, and we move merrily right along. Um, Rebecca uh, gives Keely his seat on the, on the team plane. 
and he offers to ride the bus. And what what happens uh, with that suggestion, Coach? Uh, she tells him no, uh, that he's you know not going, so he doesn't have to worry about how much he does or doesn't like the bus. And then to make sure there's no mistake in what's going on here, uh, she needs him to stay here this weekend and do work that doesn't matter. Like, just let's make sure, don't just stab him, let's make sure we twist it. Um, so it's pretty clear that she's not forgotten whose brilliant idea it was to have Danny Rojas come uh, charging onto the field last time. Yeah, she's really appreciative of that, and she knows how to show it. So um, uh, we then uh, pivot. So T- Higgins isn't going. We find out he's he's being left behind. Um, Ted walks into the locker room and finds everybody down in the dumps. Um, you know, he tries to get everybody to cheer about, about uh, taking on Everton. And only, of course, the beautiful, magical creature known as Danny Rojas. He's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's the only one. Oh, God, I love him so much. I just love Danny Rojas. Jesus Christ. So Ted pulls Beard aside and he he's like, hey, uh, what's going on? Did Beyonce dump Jay-Z or something? Which I was like, oh, that's... <laughs> It's funny. Uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, he said, you know, Beard shakes it off and, and, and says, just saying out loud made him immediately sad. And, and coach, what did, uh, you know, no one's going to give Ted a straight answer until Roy does. And what does he say? We're in a shit fucking mood because we never win at Everton and it sucks a fucking shit, which I just thought was eloquent taken to a new place. Um, if those of you who like to catch all the references, that's in Hamlet Act Four. So if you're- <laughs> I, just, I just love no, I really love yeah. that line. Like it's just so funny, um, and I love the way then you know Beard shakes it off. Like ah, I don't believe in that. Yes, kind. yes, and, and then and Ted asks, "Oh, come on, right?" Like they're like, "Come on, hey, how long has it been since you went up at Everton? Beat, beat." 60 years and Beard goes, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, even he has to acknowledge that is a long time to have not beaten a single team. So, anyway, I just love that as like team. If you've been on a team with these kinds of streaks, but 60 years, I don't care who you are, what sport it is, or what teams you're talking about, that is a long freaking time not to beat a team. That That's, that's a, no, that's an ice age. I saw oh. a headline. To, I had saw a headline today. The Browns are headed to play in Pittsburgh, and they haven't won in Pittsburgh since two thousand three. And that My that is God. forever. That's seventeen years. That is that's a light. You know, that's a like almost a generation. They haven't won. So you you think you know multiply that times three? It's just just nuts. But I love it when 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 Beer turns back around. And is like Jesus okay. Christ. <laughs> yes. So so Ted shakes it all up. He starts talking about. O'Brien, who apparently was the goalkeeper with the big Mickey Mouse hands, mm-hmm. fellow that stands by the goal with the big <laughs> Mickey Mouse hands, um, that he tore his butt and and he lightens the mood. And then we meet the the statuesque Zorro, and we find out that Ted can't pronounce that. So Richmond on three, one, two, three, and again, who's the only person, Coach Danny Rojas? Richmond, <laughs> he just looks <laughs> so good. Um, I also so, I want to I want to highlight that off of that you have Roy all right let's go like he leads them out it, it, he's still pissed and still annoying and they still know they're going there to lose and but he does lead them out like he is leading the charge uh, even in, in even in expected defeat 
And they like Ted, but he can't know what this is. This is slaughter. This is they're going to go get slaughtered mm-hmm. like they always do. Mm-hmm. It always happens. It's a humiliating experience. They have to travel somewhere else to get whooped publicly. Yes. And be reminded that they suck. So, yeah, Roy rightfully is a little bit pissy. So they walk outside. They get they get uh, Ted gets pulled aside by the press. Somebody named Lloyd, which uh, now Ted knows his name. We we didn't know his name, but one of the one of the uh, it's the same a reporter. And I should look up his name. I haven't done that. Um, who's who in the very uh, in the pilot when when Rebecca said, "Am I wrong?" He said, "Oh, it's a bit harsh." That guy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that was Lloyd. <laughs> Am I wrong? Um, she's so good, Jesus. Um, so we find out that. It's been two games since Jamie left. They've had two games, two matches since Jamie left. Uh, I'm, I'm I just Americanized it. Been two games, and they won all four quarters. Um, <laughs> so, so two two matches since Jamie left, and they've drawn one and lost one, and scored a, a total of how many goals, boss? Zero. Zero goals. That, zero goals. That would be zero. Excuse me. Zero. Yeah, zero. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, it's zero. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. Yeah. I, I can't <laughs> so, hear it. <laughs> so how worried are you about the threat of relegation and boss? What does Ted say to Lloyd? He's more concerned with the definition of relegation. It's a great line. It's a great line. What is the definition of relegation? That is basically a demotion. You're not good enough to play in the Premier League, so they're going to bump you down to one of the lower leagues. From what I have been able to understand, it's based on total number of wins with also number of goals being a tiebreaker. Uh, But also, I have been trying to figure out the rules to cricket for like seven straight years, and I can't (laughs) figure it out. So I don't know that we should go to me for the the rules in the future. It's I've got a mental block. I know cricket sort of like comes first, but for me, in my from my American lens, cricket feels like what would happen if the game of baseball drank an energy drink. I'm like, what is happening right now? Why is everyone running? What oh. is going on? See, I've I get always so said, confused. Yeah, no, I've always said that it looks like if you had uh, t-ball players accidentally get drunk. It's like- <laughs> Don't know That's if anybody funny. understands where they're going or what they're supposed to be doing, but there's a ball that seems easy to hit, and then everybody moves. Everybody moves, and it, yeah, so yeah, so I'm with you. But t-ball players uh, who are drunk, uh, that'll stick with me a long time. Uh, excellent, because it's the only thing from cricket that stuck with me. Literally, <laughs> no idea what's going on with it. So the other uh, journalist asks about the departure of Jamie Tart. Notice the black journalist doesn't get a name. But Lloyd does, Oof. so that's funny. Don't know how <laughs> if this show's really holding up to its uh, principles. But um, uh, what does Ted say, Coach, about about uh, the departure of Jamie Tart? He says that if you know, if I'm being honest, it breaks my heart a little. I mean, I I, I love this. Um, I love this talk from him, and, and that one of the neatest things about being a coach is the the connection you get to make with your players. And you know, I'm glad you did come to me with this moment because that to me is the, you know, that's really what it is. I mean, they're just these moments, these things you see, whether I've been coaching kids or, you know, on the high school level or coaching somebody who's starting a business, there is this real connection with them. Like, I want to hear from them. I want to know what's going on. They have a win. I want to hear about it. And um, I think he realizes, like, 
Jamie's a guy who had a lot of wins in front of him, and he's not necessarily gonna gonna hear about him anymore, see them anymore, experience them anymore. So yeah, I, I I thought that really got to the heart of who Ted is as a coach. That was that was that was as heartfelt as when he told um uh Trent Crimp that you know it was it was really nice spending the day with him. You know, it's like it was just it's just Ted being Ted. It's not a press answer. It's his real, honest to God answer. Where does uh Ted? Uh, Trent Krim work again? Uh, the Independent. Correct. You are correct, sir. <laughs> Ten points to Gryffindor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I really like this. It's a loss that hits me a lot harder, and it's going to stay with me a lot longer than anything that happens while playing a game on a patch of grass. And, I mean, sometimes, if you're if you're able to step back... I remember Amy... Um, what is her name? I forgot. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, a female comedian who is... Just, she's really funny. Uh but I forget Schumer? what Amy Schumer. Yes. Amy Schumer. Um, I don't know why I blanked on that. I remember Amy Schumer saying that I think it was a line in a movie, but she's like sports fans have a low intellect. Mm. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's, I see why I certainly see why people say that. I mean, I happen to be, you know, a genius and I like sports. <laughs> so there's I mean, there's a, obviously, you know, the, the, the one stat that breaks the rule, but, um, at some point, if you're able to step back and look at people in bars and living rooms screaming about, like, you know, this little theatrical piece being played on grass, uh, there is, you know, you can see the life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing kind of mm. moment, you know? So there is mm. something to that. Um, but yeah, coach, I, I figured you would like that because. Um, you seem like someone who coaches people. I mean, I don't know. I don't know your background. <laughs> I've been known to. I've been known to. Uh, last one there, Scotch Egg. <laughs> I'm just going to say I love so much that you guys are so soft about this because when I did the rewatch, I was like, oh, that's some foreshadowing of Ted's flaws. Like, yes, the connection is important, mm. but the fact that he says something, it, it downplaying the game as something that happens while playing mm-hmm. a game on a patch of grass, mm-hmm. I was like, mm, yep, no, I see it. I see it now. Very smart. That That's a, that's a fantastic point. And, and I think off of that, <clears throat> you can't, yes, it is that ultimately in the grand scheme of human existence, but you can't treat it that way while you're doing it. Yes. And and also right. we have no idea and how this is going to work out. It could be foreshadowing. We're only on episode right. seven, so we don't mm. know really. Yeah, you know, boss. I mean, I took it as foreshadowing, but that's just my seven and a half semesters of uh, an English degree as background. I was kind of <laughs> hoping Jamie would hear this interview and it would soften his dismissal for him. But I don't think we ever see it. And at least on this episode, we don't see it. And let's just stick mm. to this episode, shall we, folks? All right. <laughs> so. <laughs> the bus pulls out, they rescue Nate, uh, and we roll title sequence. Uh, we're about 20 plus minutes in to this podcast, and we're now rolling the title sequence. So, I'm sorry. Anyone Better have than one? usual. Yeah, it's good. So, uh, Rebecca and Keely arrive at the presidential suite. And what do we find out there, boss, when Rebecca sort of has a moment of pause? And what does she confess to Keely? Uh, that this is her and Rupert's anniversary weekend and the first one that she has spent since the divorce. And Keely gives her a long hug. So uh, they, a very long hug, in fact. A very long hug. And and uh, uh, before that, Keely chases the, the little scamp out of the room with some naughty talk, sends him running. Yes. 
Um, I, lo- I like that Keely is not letting up on this. Rebecca yeah, is a tall yeah. drink of water and she is making it clear. <laughs> she's, oh, she's, she's thought of it. Um, Nate's giving out room keys, lecturing the guys not to, you know, pilfer the furniture from the, from the place or ship the hotel furniture to another location, um, which feels like it's been done. And Ted gives them the, the option of what to spend, how, which way, what are the two options of spending their evening coach pillow fight or movie night? And uh, it is pretty doggone unanimous that they're going to go movie night with this one. <laughs> to, which, to which he responds, all right, but you pick Pillow Fight one time and you will never watch a movie together again. But he's been obviously campaigning for this p- team Pillow Fight. I don't know why that tickles me so, <laughs> but I just love that like it's obviously like we know we know we're not doing the pillow fight and it felt very much like the pet name suggestion when he was melting down i would believe that's in six and he's melting down he's like what if we all call each other like cute little pet name um and 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 beard gives him "Eh." this was like the whole team resoundingly going um, so I, I thought that was fantastic. And it did make me think of times like where I was, you know, working with kids or counselor or whatever. And invariably, if I have a group of boys at some point in that, they want to just have like a free for all battle royale with the guys who are in charge. Like that was my experience almost always. Um, so it just reminded me of that stuff too. I want to paint a picture for you. I was uh, 15 years old. I'm on a bus trip through most of Europe playing soccer games. And we had this, we had a coordinator and a coach and the coach was a little bit of a drip, but the coordinator of the whole program was this guy named Mark, who was just like, kind of like face man on the A team. Like our bus broke down (laughs) in Belgium at like one in the morning. And he had a bus for us like 12 minutes later. Like the the guy was like a superstar. And he was sort of like everybody's de, de facto idol because he was just, I don't know, this guy could do anything. He was just amazing. But he wasn't the coach. He was just kind of running the whole thing. And we ended up in a in a gymnasium on Cots in Germany one night. That's where we were billeted or whatever for the game the next day. And somebody has the idea. I don't know where, where how it came up, but uh, somebody says, let's have a pillow fight with Mark. And it, I, I don't know how, I don't know how it came up, but like Mark, he was like five, seven, not, not a giant. Um, mm. Probably at the time, I'm guessing about 32 at the time. He goes, you know what? Fine. What a pillow fight. He's like, I'll tell you what, <laughs> you can have your toughest three people come after me. <laughs> oh my God. I love So this. it was me. And this guy named Roddy was his last name, Roddy, R-O-D-D-Y, who was a shit talker from Massachusetts. And uh, and then uh, my buddy Jamal, who was 6'4", Ooh. and just towered over, over, over Mark. And we just grabbed our pillows and got ready. We kind of encircled him like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're going to get to beat up Mark. This is awesome. Mark, well, we weren't looking. I don't know why this didn't occur to us. Mark is just veteran savvy. He starts like, you know, we have these like, imagine the pillows they give to traveling kids on that go with cots. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm, so they're mm-hmm. not like anything. Mm-hmm. He had taken two pillows, shoved one inside the other <laughs> and started started twisting it up. Oh, my God. So he has a, a fucking cudgel. 
And the first thing he does is brains Jamal out of nowhere. He just turns around 360 and hits Jamal. And Jamal goes down, <laughs> just goes down. And that was our that was our like fiercest warrior. You know what I mean? And then he hit, he turned around and hit me and Roddy with one swing and took, took us out. And everybody just goes ballistic and they all start charging Mark. And he beat everybody. He beat up the entire because he just phenomenal. kept swinging. You know what I mean? And I'm like, this is how I, I was seeing stars. And it was just, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I was like, how so is this? great. Yeah. So anyway, if you outlive me, tell that story at my funeral, like for no reason. Like people are going to be like, so was Orlando there? Like, like, no, no. He just liked that story. He just requested it. So. <laughs> I'm just like, I, anyway, when he said pillow fight, I'm like, yeah, if you pick pillow fight, I get it. We we picked pillow fight. We literally did a That's soccer funny. team that picked pillow fight all together one night. We all got our asses whooped in Germany. Um, That's fantastic. So so Nate gives out uh, the the um, the. Uh, room keys and i felt like this was written just for me um i don't i don't know are you a huge uh van halen guy uh coach no no i didn't nothing against i didn't him, think so no. i didn't think so but th- like i i can sing every word of 5150 oh wow. yeah just i don't know how it just was by osmosis you know um and uh and ted lasso says sammy hagar is the greatest lead singer in van halen history and beard like <laughs> Stops and hold, holds him up there in the post David Lee Roth era. Beard says thank you, and then we want that was so goddamn funny. And then we find out. I mean, I just want this as my my like text tone so badly. I got to figure out how to do this. Beard has has a uh, fifty one forty eight, and boss. What do they say to each other? Howdy, neighbor. <laughs> oh, so so I don't know why. So funny. I mean, I yeah, like it's not that funny, but it's hilarious. But it's hilarious. Well, they also tip their cap and do a head tilty thing, and I mean, it's pretty damn good. Well, and also, it seems like such like I understand that the way that in jokes work with friends is something happens at some point, and then you're known as dumbly for the rest of your friendship. Like, I get that <laughs> exactly, but also, <laughs> right, right, they work together. Like, why would they feel special that now that they're in a hotel right next to each other when they see each other for eight hours? Every single day. They're just That's great. A great point. I'm very into their friendship. I like them. I love it. And consistently what I like is them not like I know they once over beer had a seven hour debate over the Van Halen lead singers and ranking <laughs> them and and the great and you know, never mind the David Lee Roth portion of the conversation, which may have spilled into another day. Right. Like like they do a great job of not explaining it to us. But giving us these unbelievable glimpses of this relationship. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Although I don't know if you could debate it that long based on the number of lead <laughs> singers. Like possible. And I'd like to just take a moment of silence for the dear departed Eddie Van Halen. Oh, oh for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was that. I, yeah. Now I wasn't a big Van Halen guy, but I, you know, I'm, I'm aware enough of the world around me that uh, I, I felt that loss. That was a big one. Was there, a, was there a ton of Van Halen playing on the streets of Flatbush while you were growing up there, Coach? <laughs> no, no. But I will say that having attended a Polytechnic Preparatory Country Day School, there mm-hmm. are some things that I would choose to listen to that would probably shock people. Um, I spent a lot of my spent a lot of my life for a guy who looks like me listening to Joshua Tree. Uh, but we'll, we'll oh. talk about it all oh, some other time. Man, I want to hear all about that. That's one of my favorites. All right. So howdy, neighbor. Uh, then we get um, – we're up to Rebecca's suite, and she's calling to say, hey, the champagne's not here. 
and she calls the concierge to make a reservation, uh, calls into the other room for Keely, and Keely suggests a steakhouse, which I thought it was funny. Rebecca's like, yeah, I, all right, I could do steak. Like, what? <laughs> it was like this whole <laughs> – and then Ke- Keely gives her a weird answer on the second one about, like, the business center or something. And what, what's actually going on here, boss? What's actually going on is that it turns out Keeley did the uh, recordings for the TV that tell you all about Liverpool and the hotel. So Rebecca comes out to Keeley watching herself from obviously a few years ago based on the crimpy hairstyle, telling them mm. about Liverpool's nightlife, including bars and clubs and the Asian ancient act. No, nope, that's not it. That's not the word she said. <laughs> but, but the, <laughs> The, the tradition, the tradition I guess, Asian yeah. tradition of karaoke. And she says, I don't even remember doing this, which gives you an indication of how long she's been like just doing these little shit things in Liverpool and other places, scraping by on the career that she made by being almost famous. And and she does such a great job. First of all, the crimped hair is is brutal and perfect. And and her the acting job she does of doing bad acting, like with a kind of mm-hmm. irritating oh, voice, God, so and good. and you know it's really good. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to pretend to be. It's like with people who can pull off drunk really well. It's so hard to pretend you're drunk. Like they they'll do it. Like you take an acting class and they're just like, hey, pretend you're drunk. Everybody gets it wrong. Okay, pretend to yawn. Everybody gets it wrong. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah. crazy how you think these things are simple until you actually try to reproduce them. Right. And one of those things is like, okay, be a bad actor. Like, uh, okay, because it always looks overdone and overwrought. And uh, she, anyway, she kills it. So, Rebe- oh, were you going to say something, boss? Oh, I was only going to say that actually the answer for the steakhouse was also a little bit odd. And I loved how Rebecca didn't let it shake her at all. Because I think what uh, Keely actually says is Shipley's is known not only for its great food, but also its ambiance. Rebecca's like, oh, yeah, I guess guess that. All right. Yeah. Fuck it. I could do steak. Fuck it. Yeah. Steak sounds good. I I thought it was significant, too. And I'm curious how you felt about it, boss, if you felt any way at all, that it was a little bit of commentary that the the women are going to be having dinner at the steakhouse. I don't know. That just felt like a choice that was made that felt very it felt kind of specific to me, not where. If you're writing the lazy version of this, I don't feel like you think, oh, send them to a steakhouse. Oh, well, I think that especially the upcoming scene, which we should probably, you know, flow into. But I thought it was all the very opposite of any lazy writing. I liked that Mm -hmm. probably, you know, six or seven years ago when Keeley would have done this recording, it would have been geared towards businessmen visiting Liverpool. And therefore, the announcements probably would have talked at the steakhouse. I think at a, a while ago, maybe it would be weird. Women would not want to go to a steakhouse together necessarily, or would not be portrayed as wanting to go to a steakhouse together. And now they're like, yeah, no, we, we've all got a certain amount of money. Let's, let's go to the fanciest restaurant. And if that's a steakhouse, that's what we're doing. I thought it was great. Were, were you, were you, were you trying to suggest, I mean, first of all, let me say that I've read coaches writing and lazy writing is his specialty. <laughs> Um, so he, so I listen, I defer to your superior knowledge on this coach, but, um, one, one thing, (laughs) one thing I was, are you suggesting to coach, uh, to, uh, to boss that there was a, like a masculine component, like women re, re, uh, sort of, um, attaining the masculine or something like that, or 
or taking control of a place that's historically a masculine location. Is that what you were saying? That's it felt a little like that to me. It felt like it was a couple ticks away from, you know, women in the locker room, some other things that we've kind of been playing with over the course of this um season. But it wasn't it wasn't like, hey, we can go to a steakhouse if we want. We're liberal. It was just like, yeah, we're hungry and there's food and that sounds good and I'll eat it. Mm-hmm. Like I, just, I don't know. It was it was it was easy too. It wasn't like a they didn't make a thing of it, which made it more interesting to me. I like that the Rebecca was just kind of open to it. Or like I, you get mm-hmm. the sense that Rupert had this stuff on lock. Like he had rituals that he did, and she would just follow him wherever. Like the you know he had a certain way of doing it. And I like that she seems open enough in this weekend, like girls weekend. And she's like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. Let's do it. Like, I just think that's something cool about that. Um, anyway, wonderful crimped hair on, on Keely. They decide to just put the past in the past. And then there's a knock on the door. Is that the missing champagne boss? Who might that be at the door? Oh, that's sassy. That is Rebecca's best friend, best mate from their childhoods, Flo, who you can call sassy. Who both Keely and I immediately loved. I, well, hold on a second. Hold on. That, like, I thought that was before we get into that. The the way of introducing yourself with a couple options is such a bold choice, especially if like one of the options is like something that kicks ass. Like, like. Like, I could be like, oh, my name's Coach, but you can call me, like, Mighty Warrior. I don't care which one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, what? <laughs> like, sassy? That's a hell of a name to paint on yourself, I think. Anyway, I was just like, like, wow, that is that is a bold stroke. By the way, we're introing here Flo Collins, who's played by Ellie Taylor. Take it away, boss. Well, so, uh, yeah, she comes in. Uh, she says hi to Stinky, which is apparently Rebecca's nickname. So that feels a little bit lopsided in terms of nicknames, Stinky and Sassy. <laughs> Rebecca did yeah. not win out on that one. Uh, she then comes into the room and looks around and says at, to Keely, but at her also, is this your concubine? Is she Russian? Are you Russian? And Keely's response is, I love you. And B, who are you? Which is also my response. When she says, are you Russian? She says it like with a Russian accent. Yeah. Did you notice that? Is she, is she like, Russian? Yes. Yeah. I will say that it, it, in the scene as they introduce, and I think we should talk a little bit about that. But um, one of my favorite things is that she says, and I have this bottle of champagne that I stole from the trolley outside. I'm like, well, you stole Rebecca's champagne. Like, this is the champagne that she was just calling about. And you just snuck it into your purse. You're not actually bringing anything to the party here, Sassy. You're you're just intercepting the champagne she'd already gotten. But she's fun, so she works it. And what what's her um, – when, when she? oh, sorry. But you want to say something, Coach? Yeah, I, I just want to – taking this introduction, going back into, you know, we're going to get you – know, we're going to get drunk and, and put the past behind us. I, one of the things I like about this episode, and, and to me, Sassy's arrival um, underscores it, is you don't just get to do that. Like yeah. in real life, like grown up life, it, not on a show, you don't just get to go like, oh, the past doesn't, the past doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. And and I like that that that's really clearly done. Like even within the context of the scene, it made me think actually of like. It made me think of Akuna because I was like, how would I capture what they're doing there? And it made me think of Akuna Matata. And then my reaction was like, yeah, but ultimately, like Simba had to go handle his business. Yes. Like that was cool. And it got him through some stuff. 
but ultimately we have to face our past to go forward. And I, and I thought it was, I think it's all over this episode, but I thought they did a great job of bringing it into this moment in a way that worked. You can't change your past, but you can honor I, it. I have, we're going to have to get into, into a big discussion about this offline or in a separate podcast about Simba quote unquote handling his shit because all he did was basically get high with those two ass clowns and then come back mm. and the women took care of everything. And then put him on the throne once they beat everybody. Which you just you just described my life between eighteen and twenty one. <laughs> I'm just gonna put that on the table. So let's let's put, let's take a pin in that too. <laughs> so they intro flow. So this is interesting because I know I don't want to say I'm the harsh harshest of the three of us criti- critically. I, I don't think I am, but I, I may be a little nitpickier than the two of you. But I know that I've had a since the introduction of the plot point that Ted's marriage was in shambles, I have had a a very I've puckered certain parts of my of my um, anatomy, <laughs> waiting for the other shoe to drop with regard to who might be his like inevitable love interest, and I've always mm-hmm. worried mm-hmm. that it might be Rebecca. And when mm-hmm. it when it sort of felt like it wasn't. A little bit. I was very mm-hmm. relieved because I didn't want that. I wasn't shipping the two of them. And when we introed this new Flo Collins slash sort of like Maria Shriver sort of person, I was like, okay, what is that? What are they doing? So they set up best friend, best mate, brilliant child psychologist, which is like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, proud and newly single. And so Rebecca says newly single, like a question, and Flo like nods. And then she says, the most amazing 12-year-old little girl called Nora, my goddaughter. I haven't spoken to either one of them in six years. And I was like, you knew that your best mate got divorced and you didn't even, like, you didn't even call her? Like, I, I was horrified when I did that. Did that land that way with you guys? I guess I experienced the whole thing. So, yeah. Yes, I didn't think of the divorce piece specifically. And as you pointed out, it is horrifying. I, but I did find myself going like, what the fuck do you mean you let six years pass? Like, it, it, there's definitely more to it. Um, and the way in which she says it means she knows full well that she has not been in a coma, which would probably be the only reasonable explanation for that behavior. So I, I I like that we know she's got some fixing to do um on this relationship front. But it did make me wonder like, well, what the hell happened six years ago? What's what 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 have you been doing? Yeah. And, and she's noticed she's not she's Rebecca's not showing up at Sassy's hotel room either. She's mm-hmm. not the one yes. doing the work right now. So anyway, I right. was really horrified by that because um that's a big that's a big deal to not have your your friends back. Um <laughs> I Go ahead. will Go ahead, say I, I, I was horrified by that aspect, but I also loved that it didn't seem like Sassy was there to settle any scores. It wasn't that it, she was right. in it, it, in order to, you know, make Rebecca pay for the fact that she hadn't been there for her when she was going through this divorce. Uh, like I have friends who I have regular text dates on a weekly basis and we will check in and see what's going on and talk to each other. And I also have friends who I'm like super close with that I'll see once a year, maybe. And we're able to pick up like Mm -hmm. right where we left off with no weird issues. 
And so I think that, yes, like not being there for your friend's divorce, not speaking to them for six years, like that is an issue, but their friendship is so deep and so long-term and so lasting that they know they could get past that. And she just shows up ready to jump in in order to get things back on track. 100% right. 100% right. And and one thing that we we probably haven't painted this enough, but this is a show that features adults. And yes. what you yes. always deal with on shows and the thing that makes so many show watchers turn things off is like, you know what? All of this melodrama could have been handled with a simple phone call. Mm-hmm. Like all of this thing, like had you just talked to the person instead of doing the standard network bullshit TV move of like, uh, oh, I choked up and then changed the subject instead of telling them the truth when they're right there and you can just tell them the truth. Ted Lasso doesn't do any of that. Ted Lasso has people confronting situations by talking about them and getting to the bottom of them and resolving them. And they are their premise is there is inherent drama in the uncomfortable uh, confrontation or the uncomfortable conversation, but it's much more real and it's much more honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're all relating to. Yeah, I mean, I think the word you use it's 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 adult. I think it's deeply mature. In, in just its attitude, right? Like even amongst adults, it, there's just a, a maturity overall about where the show is taking us and showing us and, 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 and where that piece is. And I think part of that is, yeah, it's fun to, you know, get a drink in you and let that be your truth serum. But there's also something about the fact that there's been no champagne consumed and we get Rebecca's confession mm-hmm. that makes it to me feel more real, more genuine, more from the heart than if, you know, there are a few flutes in and then suddenly now she's saying like, oh, it's been six years and that was terrible of me as if like her defenses have been lowered and now she can actually say it. So, um, yeah, I think it's mature on a lot of levels. Um, so she said, Rebecca says, you heard about the divorce. Yeah. I bumped into Darren at a party. He told me right after he hit on me. So I, uh, God, we got, we have two, (laughs) we have two childhood friends, like knockouts in each of their own way. Absolutely beautiful, accomplished, bright, sunny, charming, funny, interesting, right? Two, two, two remarkable women, both who end up with penises utter penises right <laughs> like a guy that would hit on his best friend's wife uh sorry a guy that would hit on his wife's best friend and then you know rupert mannion who oh man oof so anyway it's just ugh, <laughs> so gross man <laughs> <sighs> anyway yeah, so ugh, just so disgusting bad. anyway um, still weird, weird order for him to roll out that information, uh, Sassy says. That made me laugh out loud. Um, okay, what's the plan for tonight? Should I call down and get myself a robe? I, I like that line. It's like they were both in robes. She's like, all right, so we robing this bad boy up? Or, um, And Keely says, you're amazing. I'm Keely, by the way. And boss, what, is, uh, what does Sassy say to Keely? Uh, she says, oh, I know, love. My ex used to masturbate to you like a maniac. It's just <laughs> such a good line. It's such a good line. I also like so much that it clearly indicates that when she walked in a second ago, she knew who Keely Mm -hmm. was, but didn't Mm -hmm. want to say, didn't want to be like, oh my God, you're Keely Jones. Very nice to meet you, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Like wanted to play it cool and not make Keely uncomfortable, but then knew that she could bust out this line about how my ex used to masturbate to you and it wouldn't be a, a thing for anybody. 
I like to, there's a look Rebecca gives and it's, I don't even have a word that captures it fully, but it's, it's almost resignation. Like, well, there won't be any propriety this weekend. Yes. Like, and I just love that. I love that she knows her friend. She's not upset by it. She's not offended by it. She's just like, there's going to be some wild shit. (laughs) And and it's just, I just loved it. I I have friends like that who I'm like, if you're hanging out with them, like, forget the inhibitions, buddy. So this is the kind of weekend it's going to be. Okay. Yeah, this is where we're Um, going. I want to point out yet another example. You know that I, I I think I've, I've shown my hand enough that the only thing better than Gen X in this world is Gen Z. But Mm -hmm. I will say there are certain millennial qualities that are just absolutely wonderful. And I view this Keeley quality, which is, again, not treating another woman like shit. Like, didn't see her as Mm -hmm. this this tall drink of water comes in, beautiful Mm -hmm. brunette, right? And Keeley is nothing Mm -hmm. but lovely to her. Again, it's yet another new woman introduced into Keeley's life where she's just awesome to her. Yeah, I feel like that's the 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 built in hmm. Gen X protections mm-hmm. on men and women. We are very, very shielded and very guarded. And I noticed that millennial women and millennial, millennial men are much more open and less. I don't think I don't think less guarded. They're just more realistic. They're like, we got fed a lot of bullshit in the 80s and 90s. And then we're stunned in our 30s when we didn't have amazing jobs and, and fantastic cars. And the millennials grew up thinking like, yeah, we're never having that. That's all horse shit. <laughs> so, right, you know right. what I mean? So anyway, right. I thought that I thought that was a really I just love Keely so much. So um, now we cut to the team watching. Oh, wait, by the way, is this a known thing? I was like, my my ex used to masturbate to you like a maniac. And I was like, is that like, is that <laughs> people know who other people are masturbating to? Your partner is masturbating to? I don't I mean, I don't know if we can really address I actually, this, I guess. I, I I took that as a commentary on him, though. Like, if you're the kind of guy who your wife would expect to hit on your childhood friend, which is pretty bad, like, by anyone's standard, then maybe you're also the kind of guy who doesn't think twice about sharing that particular piece of information or, God forbid, um, not hiding the activity. So, yeah, I, I, I took it more as a commentary on the, the husband and what a shit he is than like on anything else. Yeah, I think it, there's I think the way that she says that is really telling about what she thinks of her ex, because like yeah. there are a lot of people in my life who could guess some of the celebrities or characters that I have a crush on because I talk about them constantly, basically. Yeah, like, I mean, if somebody uh, met Pablo Sweeney, uh, Pablo Schreiber, they wouldn't not think, oh, right, Emily, madly in love with Matt Sweeney. Like, that is a thing that I've made known about myself. Did I ever tell you, Bone, did I ever tell you I sat behind him at a premiere? He smelled great. Shut up. You know what? I talked to him, too. I talked to him. I was like, hey, what's up, Pablo? He's like, what's up, man? God. No idea. He's super nice. He's he's a monster. damn it. He's beautiful. He's beautiful in person too. You like sons the, of bitches. We, seriously. There's, like, uh, based on your reaction, I probably shouldn't tell you I slept with him. So <laughs> no, let's just no, move you on. should, and then we should go offline and we should give them details. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, but I was gonna say, uh, Coach Castleton, we know somebody else who uh, met Pablo Schreiber at some sort of party and got to have some drinks with him. Also confirmed he smells great. 
Just super so that's, cool. That's super down to earth. Super nice. There was like nothing, no air of superiority <sighs> about him. R- nicest guy ever was introduced to me and was like, hey, man, like, like as if we had known each other a hundred years. The nicest guy. Yeah. Jesus Christ. See, sometimes sometimes your crushes are warranted. I'm, no, I'm, it's not I'm nice when that happens. You know my crush. Is, well, see, I don't have this is not a sexual crush, but my favorite actor is Brendan Gleeson. And I remember some I remember someone telling me like, oh, oh um, I worked with him. He's an absolute legend, the best guy to be around. And I was like, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Um, well, that's Yeah, no, it's great. But but yeah, so the, the fact that she was like he used to masturbate to you. Not, oh yeah, my husband loves right. you. My husband right. had a crush right. on you. Well, it's also, it, I too. thought it was a little uh, diminishing of Keely. Uh, listen, it's just, mm. it's just my take because it's like, it's sort of, it could be, it might not be, it might not be, maybe it's a compliment, like a veiled compliment of sorts. But I thought it was like, oh, like I was married to a man, but he would, he would use you as his fodder. He would objectify you. Oh, and, and like, yeah, there's this, there's this line, and I know I always quote Bull Durham, but there's this line um, where, where Susan Sarandon is playing um, Annie Savoy is like trying out. Nuke Lelouch and Crash Davis. She's it's Kevin Costner and and uh, Tim Robbins, and she's like basically like I gotta pick one of you guys. And Kevin Costner just gets up and leaves. And she's like, "What? No one's ever said no a date with me before." And he leaves and he goes, "You know what? I'm sorry. I'm just not interested in someone who's interested in that boy." <laughs> yes, I do love that. Line. You remember that? And- yes. I just had a full on deja vu because I've heard, I feel like I was sitting right here and heard you tell that story before. So now that's a whole other level. I've, of I've definitely said it to you experience. many, many times. I, I quote that movie really? on the, re- on the reg. Yeah, I know it's my favorite. So, um, okay. So we've established a couple of different points of view here and, and the fact that now, um, coach Bishop's wife knows he masturbates to Pablo Schreiber. So Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. see now was it, we're all well, coming out she was gonna find out one way or the other <laughs> Whatever. okay so <laughs> now we're watching the iron giant we're in with the boys I, I i will sometimes say if i look back on this show the thing that's going to bother me is some of the language that ted uses which i think is ned flandersy um mm-hmm. and so he goes he's sitting with nate and beard it's just like a quiet conversation he goes am i cuckoo for cocoa puffs thinking that we can beat these guys and I know, like that, it uh, made the hair stand up. I'm like, ah, oh, just mm. knock it the fuck off! <laughs> like, <laughs> stop it! Stop it! Um, but okay, I guess that's who he is. Yeah, I wrote blech in the in the show notes because that's how I was like, because I think that's what's gonna take me out of the suspension of disbelief. But anyway, it's fine. Is he nuts for thinking we can beat these guys? And Nate says, no, we match up perfectly. Uh, oh no, or does Beard say that? No. Right. And and he says to Nate, Do you believe this team can win? And Nate says, I believe this team can do anything. And now we get this just wonderful boss, walk us through the the, the interaction <laughs> between <laughs> Nate and Ted Lasso. Oh my God. Okay. So it, after getting the confirmation from Beard that they are in fact matched up perfectly, he says to Nate, We need to talk to the guys. I want to know what you're thinking about it. And Nate, God bless his heart, goes through a whole thing. Where he's, oh, no, 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 thank you. I'm, I can't do that. And Coach is like, no, I want to hear what you have something. To, if you have something to say, I want to hear it. It sounds like you've got it locked and loaded. Let's hear what you have to say. He's like, no, no, I'm sorry. I can't do that. He says, well, why don't you just tell me what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you do tell me? And he says, mm, mm. that you won't like my idea and it makes you hate me. And then you fire me. And then I move back to home with my parents and they'll be ashamed of me. And then everyone finds out back home and laughs at me until my face melts off. Excuse me. <laughs> And after 
blurting all of that out in probably one breath. Beard's only response yeah, is it was fantastic. Well, at least he didn't stammer. So you know, <laughs> small improvements. Listen, this is this is this is a show that is talking about anxiety. Like they are addressing yeah. the concept of anxiety. They might not be saying it. They might not yeah. hit us over the head with it, but. Nate has walked yeah. down the domino effect in his brain. And I, I have, I have, uh, uh, it's so funny, um, because I, I never knew this was a thing. So until I had children that had little, little bouts of anxiety themselves, I just didn't even know how to handle this. And I, I would always try to rational, rationalize it away with people like, come on, that's crazy thinking. Like, just knock it off. Don't think that way. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you don't, no, it, it really literally doesn't, doesn't work it like really that. Doesn't. And, the concept that Nate has explored this and he, when people talk like this and, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to let, let um, coach take it away in a second. But um, when, when this happens, the people, it is not just that the words are coming out of Nate's mouth. It is that he has experienced yes. these emotions as if they're real. He is feeling mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Coach, you want to expand on that? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you said that about the experience because I was, I, I felt Nate there. Like that was that expression of, well, what, what could possibly go wrong? Like I always think that's the craziest question because I'm like, how much time? Do you have? <laughs> um, are you fucking, what could go wrong? Is that your serious question? Like I have 48 years of possibilities locked and loaded of all the things that I'm could, all about what could go, go wrong. wrong. Pull up a chair. <laughs> that's like what it is. And so, yeah, so, but the, the piece you say around the, the experience is very real. And like, I, you know, for me, it shows up in different ways. But one of the things that I now have with my, with, with my wife is pretty much any social gathering we go to as we leave, I go, did I talk too much? Because mm-hmm. as I'm there, I am sure as I am in any social gathering, pretty much there's a decent chance that I am at any given moment going over the specific reasons why everyone present hates me and has agreed that it would be better if I just went ahead and died. Like, and like, it's just <laughs> any joke I tell, I, even if everyone in the room breaks up laughing, I can point out the people who were offended by it and they'll never speak to me again. Uh, like it's so, so that, so when he says all of that, um, I, I, I felt for him and he did need to, to, to step away because it was too much. It was too much. His face had already melted off. Like he needed a moment. Um, so yeah, so I, I think they are addressing anxiety and what it's like. And I think it's, it's the, the whole thing around depression being living in the past and anxiety being living in the future. And you're really left with one thing that works, which is to live in the present. And, and this show, you know, starting out with Ted reading Dharma bums on the, on the plane, I think is just finding a million different ways to bring us to that reality, you know, uh, from the gambler on. So anyway, yes, I agree with you. Great job doing it without it being like, Hey there, little buddy, you don't have to be anxious, right? Like what? They just live it. And this is what it actually is live is like when it's right. Lived. And he excuses himself. Notice he doesn't stay in it. He's got to go, he's got to go address it on his own. Like, you know, yeah. and, and it's real to him and no amount of uh coach, when you're talking about, Oh, did I talk too much? Or did that joke really bomb? You know, whatever, no amount of, of, of somebody else say it certainly helps as a reaffirmation, right. but it doesn't change the experiential mm-hmm. nature of it. So. 
Absolutely. Crazy stuff, man. And then the flip side of that is someone as dumb as me who thinks all their jokes work. <laughs> Walking out of every party glowing like as if I'm wearing a top hat. Good night, all. <laughs> You're <Exactly>. welcome, folks. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why people are still at this party. I'm leaving. You should all be closing it down behind you. I said good day. All right. Well, at least he didn't stammer. And then Ted gets a text from Michelle reminding him about the papers. He's got to leave the movie. Do you guys know what movie was playing, by the way? Are you familiar with that movie? The Iron Giant? I had to ask you about it. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. ahead, I was just going to say the, the, The Iron Giant. I, I, yeah. I have not actually experienced it myself, but I do understand it makes everybody cry. Yep. It's awesome. It's like legit. It's really good. I was thrilled when they picked it. I felt like I, I, I gave like a, what's that like knowing chuckle gif that goes around? Or, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, you, Sudeikis. We know what that movie, like it, <laughs> it, was, it was a great, it was a great, it is exactly what they said. Um, keep an eye on these guys because around the 74 minute mark, there's going to be a room full of grown men crying. And what does Beard say, boss? I'll be one of them. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be one of them. Love and it. And I'll be one of them. And he tosses and he tosses the tissue on the table. Yes. Like he's yeah, not kidding. No, he's prepped. Wipe, wet wipes, humidifier, Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. He, he's... <laughs> um, so we, Ted is on the, on the way to, to go handle this. He departs, he leaves to go do that. Uh, and we cut to um, Stinky Sassy and Keely. First time all three of them have an E at the end of their name. That's also how white people sing Savage. <laughs> That's how white people do what? Sing Savage by, by Megan the Stallion. <laughs> that is so That's funny. That's great. Oh, God. We... She was just on SNL. Didn't start this experience thinking we we're going to reference Megan the Stallion, but that's what we're talking. That's what you get mm-hmm, here, folks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was that was really that solid. Was B plus really comedy. Um, yes. <laughs> Sassy- I'm gonna round that up to an A. <laughs> yeah. Tip your waiters. Sassy <laughs> gave Elton John a boner. Classic. She said. She said. Joke. Um, and then Sassy does this forward thing with the waiter. Who, we, who is, by the way, named Jeff, and the waiter's in in house name actor role name is Jeff, played by Samuel Edwards, and Sassy is like just kind of trying to set Rebecca up. What did what'd you make of that, boss? Oh, it was great. I I think there are so many ways in which TV has TV and movies it, it, it have taught us that women don't act. That when you see how women do act in the real world, we're shocked by it. And like, by and large, I think it is not a good idea to proposition someone who is doing their job when their job requires them to be nice to you. But there are also ways that you could do it where it's not so much an imposition as an invitation. Like, if you are flirting with your waitress so much that she gets uncomfortable and feels like she can't be at the table with you anymore, you're doing a bad job. If you sort of like put out a little feeler where you're like, hey, you're good looking and everybody knows it, it, it that doesn't seem like it, that's not the sexual borderline sexual harassing that I do. That's like much more skilled than what I'm able to pull off. <laughs> that's and not I think my she- kind of borderline sexual harassment. 
It, yes, but she does it in a way where it's like, hey, my friend is single and sexy and like she's not actually hitting on you, but I am uh, letting everybody at the table right now know what the situation is. I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was like pre- presumptuous because she's like, oh, you know, she likes something bigger for dessert. Is that something you can handle? <laughs> I was like, what if the guy had like a little teeny, you know, you know, what if I was like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, yeah, I can hang on. I, I don't know. Uh, okay, listen. <laughs> Uh, I'm wondering the best way of saying this. Having a BDE is better than actually having a BD. If I could use this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. If if that is what they are picking up, then that's what he's throwing down. And that is a compliment by itself. How good is is having SDE? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> is that awesome too? <laughs> all right. Depends on what you do with it, you know. <laughs> we're we're all given a certain DE in life, and what it about, depends on what you do with it. What about just average? Uh, anyway, um, okay. So, <laughs> I so, like so much that average. Is know, what is average life. anyway? Yeah, when you really man, think about man. it, we can't, um, we can't do that. Okay, so I I thought it was uh was was the whole thing was was nice to see. I just happy to see Rebecca smile, and it was nice, and she really needs it, and it was just cool. And sometimes your friends are really who you need to to sort of you know smack, break the ice a little for you. So it's nice. So actually, I am going to jump in with that idea that it was one of her oldest and closest friends that did that. I think mm-hmm. there are definitely times where not knowing somebody as well as you need to in order to pull something off it would complicate that. I, I think it could have been very uncomfortable for the waiter, for Rebecca, for Keely, if Sassy had not had the understanding of the situation that she did. And I think that that is one of the things that is so often overlooked when you're talking about romantic or sexual dynamics in workplaces or, you know, at bars or whatever else, like people seem to get upset and people assholes, assholes seem to get upset. So they're like, well, now I can't hit on women at work anymore. What am I supposed to do? Does sex not exist? And you're like, no, sex, sex exists. Just like, if you don't know how to read the room, don't ask somebody if they want to sleep with you. And I think that that's a really important part that Sassy knew what she was doing here. You taking notes coach. I was just. If you don't know, how to, if you have <laughs> small dick energy and you don't know how to read the room, <laughs> hello oh, everybody. Is that, I, whoa, is that what BDE yeah. stands for? Wait a second, we got to back this whole train up. That was that was big big dick energy there, Coach. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank so you. so um, I did you guys ever wait tables? By the way, I I catered so I, sort of. Yeah, I was a bartender. So did you ever get anybody? Did anybody ever give you a number like on the? Yes. Really? How'd that go, Coach? What happened? Yeah. Uh, it was fun. It was. I mean, yeah, it was. One time, it was interesting. This is the more interesting story. Is that there was a guy who was a bartender nearby, so he'd come by all the time. We talk, we laugh, we joke, and one day he slipped me his number, and I was like, "Oh, oh. we've been having two very different conversations." Oh wow. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very. It was very. And then I did feel kind of bad because I was like, "Oh, my new friend," and then suddenly I was like, 
well, this is, oh my goodness. Uh, so yeah, so there you go. So I've been, that, that, that's probably the most interesting of the phone numbers slipped to me, but yeah, it was, it was cool. It didn't hurt to be, you know, tenant bar in New Haven and let slip in there that I happen to be a student at Yale. You could, oh. you could almost see the dollar signs in some women's pupils, which was nice. Mm-hmm. That was fun. How was, and, um, how uh, was yeah. that guy, by the way? Uh, he was no Pablo. Sh- <laughs> I no, I got one. Nobody I, is. I was a. I waited tables, uh, <laughs> and I got a. I remember I was working at the Wildwood Steakhouse, and some. I couldn't. I was this this party of like it was like an eight top, and it was like a whole family, mm-hmm. and there was this unbelievably bossy, like probably twenty two year old woman, and she just was like in charge and just always bossing everybody around and telling people what to eat, and she's mean as shit. Um, Mm. and, and pretty, but just mean, mean, you know, and just like a mean woman. And, uh, but she was definitely the boss of the family. And I was like, wow, that's, she was like, eat your goddamn steak, grandma. And it wasn't like that, (laughs) but it it was basically that, you know, like I was like, oh, this is like a matriarch, you know? And she was the only person that ever gave me her number. And I, I did not call it because I was terrified, but I, looking back, I'm like, I would have been so successful in this world. Had I had her just right. beating my ass every, you know what I mean? <laughs> every day since I was like 17. So send the resume, coach. Exactly. <laughs> you fool. Um, okay. So, anyway, this is a great, great little scene. Um, we have uh, Sassy go off to get a smoke and we pop over to Ted Lasso. Coach Ted Lasso, the namesake of the show that we're talking about. And he is, okay. Now, I have to just put in a little plug here, because we meet the character Paul John Pope. First of all, mm. that's Pope John Paul, and they're just have, someone's so having fun with yes. that name. So Paul right. John Pope is the person at the front desk of the hotel, or, or the steakhouse, or wherever they're... I guess it's a steakhouse in a hotel, where, mm-hmm. where they're eating. And um, he is played by Paul Foxcroft. And I looked up Paul Foxcroft. I'm like, who is this guy? Because he killed this role. I mean, crushed it, like squished it between his fingers and and threw it into 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 the Grand Canyon. It was amazing how good he did uh, played this role. And he's like got like four credits. So mm. I'm just gonna say somebody's got to people got to hire Paul Foxcroft because he was outstanding. His timing was amazing. His facial expressions were yeah. amazing. Everything about him was amazing. And he is trying to help Ted Lasso find a fax machine, um, which was <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. when we meet Paul John Pope, the line that he says is, yeah, I don't know. He's on the phone. He says, yeah, I don't know. May I suggest flushing it again, but harder. <laughs> now, like Sudeikis wrote this episode. And again, I tell you all my favorite things in in shows, I always wonder why people don't add little shit like this, because it just mm-hmm. means to me that there's like part of the world that exists. And then yes. when Paul John Pope goes to find a fax machine and try to, you know, he's like, got to call a colleague. He doesn't know who to whatever. Before he hangs up, he <laughs> before he hangs up, what he says in the phone was, uh, let me know how the trial goes. OK, bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And I'm like, I loved everything about it. Right. I mean, it's like, I'm like, Oh my God, there's like a world. I'm like, I want to see the spinoff, the Paul John Pope spinoff. Right. Like right. just show me this guy's like amazing. Anyway. 
I wonder. It's not exactly the same. The the thing that it reminded me a lot of is um, David Sedaris talking about riding the L in Chicago with his sister, Amy, uh, the Mm. comedian and actress. Yes. And that she got off two stops before he did. And so she heads to the doors. And as she's exiting the doors, she shouts back at him. Well, okay, David, good luck beating that rape charge. And then leaves. And so he's left is in the L car. That is phenomenal. <laughs> and it's every time I get off an L, which hasn't happened recently, but anytime anything like this happens, it's one of the things that I think about because it's just such a like, it, like there's so much. What's what's going on with the trial? And can I find out about it? And who are you talking to? Like amazing, right. amazing writing. Anyway, he's great. It looks for a fax machine. Um, and he realizes, oh, Ted is serious. Like he, the, the reaction on his face, like, oh, uh, okay, that's a good question. If you bear with me for a second, I'll check out with a colleague and see if I can find out. I actually had a, a deal. I had to get a signature over to somebody, and for some, my, I forget why, but my scanner wasn't working. And so I legit called them to say, "Look, my scanner's not working. I'm trying to figure this out. Do you guys have a fax machine?" And I remember the chuckle from the other <laughs> end of the line. So I took the scene very personally actually because i was like look ted's just doing his best okay you mm-hmm. want the signature or don't you like i felt very pissy about this whole moment uh at the uh, at the front desk i always think we cover all the bases pretty well on this show between women and millennials and and uh and you know different p- people of of different coaching capacities and what i will say is i don't know if we have any we don't have any europeans here which which because i want to ask them is it is it really like outdated in europe like to have like, is a fax machine like a joke in Europe now? Are we that behind in, in America? Are fax machines available I, in America? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we're pretty far past. Or if not, I mean, I, I can't. Yeah. Aside from that moment when I asked that question, I can't remember the last time I really was like on. on I mean, my elbow machine. is leaning on my fax machine. One of my two. <laughs> what? No, no, I'm totally kidding. And by the way, do you have. No, I'm just kidding. One I, of I know my, like, but one of my two. people still are faxing. I know like in the legal trade like you you need faxes because mm-hmm. you can't yeah. do certain you can't scan or whatever so there's all kinds of things like there's certain careers where you still need them and i know you can still do yeah. them at like kinko's or well, i guess kinko's is gone it's fedex kinko's now but uh ups store things like that anyway do you guys know the trick on you guys have you both have iphones right yeah yes do you have, an, do you have an iphone bone? do you know the trick about when you long press notes and then you have you can scan document i uh somebody's told me that I'm going to level with you. Like the last time I even needed to print anything was so long ago that I, I, I don't know if I would know how to do it anymore. Like if I can't do it on my computer, it can't be done. It's not a thing I do then. You're going to thank me, Bone. I'm telling you. Long press notes, choose scan document. And it'll change your life. You'll be like, oh my God. Like, oh my God. It's like perfect, a perfect scan every time. It I'm- takes one second and then you just get your business handled. I'm pulling up. And that's all of, why we should go back to. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead I, I was just going to say I'm pulling up all of my uh, Pablo Schreiber fanfic right now in order to make <laughs> sure I have it saved to a second location. Smart. Uh, all right. So anyway, um, uh, he finds a he finds a. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, before he finds it, um, Sassy pops over and says, "A fax machine. Hey, are you sending something to the year 1997?" Which reminded me of like a. Uh, of uh, Liz Lemon, wasn't there like an interaction where her, I forget the guy's name, sold beepers? 
Yeah, yeah, he said, uh, uh, yeah, because uh, technology is cyclical, yeah. which I thought was one of the great <laughs> comedy lines I've ever heard in my life. Technology is cyclical, maybe. And, and Jack Donaghy put one on and said he's expecting a call from 1983 just to mess with like, right. yeah. We're, anyway, we're 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 gonna need to put some respect on Dennis Duffy's name before we leave here. Yes, Dennis his name Duffy. was Dennis yeah. Duffy. There Very sorry. Go. And good call. He was the beeper king. Dennis Duffy. So funny. A dynamic so amazing it then made its way, actually reversing the Ted Lasso trend of creating an ad campaign and then making it a show. Dennis, essentially, they did the Dennis Duffy thing with uh, Tina Fey in that insurance commercial. So there yes. you go. All right. There we go. It can flow either way. It can flow either way. I, I, I did that especially for Coach Boss because Coach thinks that I don't pay attention to any pop culture whatsoever. So there you go. That's my contribution. I'm done. I'm now. glad you know Take one care. thing. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to bring that up next time something Anybody comes up Anybody want to hear too. about Dennis Funny. Duffy? No. <laughs> Funny you should bring up the doors. Dennis Duffy <laughs> is. Uh... I think it was Dennis Duffy who said. Um, all right, so I'm telling he. There's a little cute interaction here. The little note to myself telling me to buy Apple stock. Um, and she says, "Oh, good idea. Can you tell me to murder J.K. Rowling?" I'm like, "Jesus Christ, that's your second line." I was like, "I think this is why she thinks she fucked it." Right, right. Because she went right to murder on line two of meeting someone. Uh, he says, can do. I'll probably write handle instead of murder. So there's no paper trail. Um, hi, I'm Ted, by the way. Sassy. Like the Smurf. I, I actually want, I thought it was interesting that that choice was made. First of all, there's, there's little that I find more fun, whether I'm watching it on a show or remembering, you know, literally decades ago, what it applied to me. That like bantery moment of like, ooh, we get each other is an amazing magical moment. So I really enjoyed watching this. But I thought Sassy Smurf, there is zero chance, in my opinion, that Ted believes there was actually a Sassy Smurf. I think he's having some fun there. Maybe it's even like a little bit of like, let me see, like, can she come down this road with me? And I thought it was particularly interesting whether that's true or not about Ted, we could talk about, but because there was only one female Smurf, Smurfette. Famously. And this show actually yeah. doesn't do that. This show doesn't do that. This show gives you Keely and Sassy and Rebecca, right? Like we get a range of women, just like we get a range of men. And it isn't your defining characteristic as a character that you happen to be female. Like that is a part of who you are, but it's not who you are where it was famously for Smurfette. So I, I, I think they might have been a little bit of commentary built into that moment. And interesting. I mean, I know the Smurfs more. I, I really know the Smurfs. I don't know how, I don't remember them, but I I know Azriel and I know Gargamel and I know like I just mm -hmm. know the Smurfs. I don't know how. My sister was more of the Smurfs person than me, but I, I sort of, you know, osmosis, I got some in there. Yeah. How'd you do with Van Halen? <laughs> this, there was a there was a Smurf in Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so shreddy, confused right shreddy now. Smurf. <laughs> um, okay, so um yeah, all right. I'll tell him. Let me uh, tell him and let me know who, how the trial goes. Okay, bye. It was beautiful. Uh, right. We know no longer a fax machine on the premises, but the concierge was able to locate one at a tanning salon eight miles away in Crocksteth. I'm like, that's the greatest <laughs> choice of a name. Because right away, you're like, I'm out. And I'm out as soon as you hear Crocksteth. 
You're done. Right. He does a manicurist nearby. That's carrier pigeons joke. Thank you, though. Nice meeting you. And Ted walks away. Nice meeting you to, to Sassy, and he walks away. Um, and then what happens in this little beat here between pa- Paul John Pope and Sassy? What happens here, boss? Uh, well, as she steps up to the desk, he says, how can I help you? And she explains, well, I was going to go out for a smoke and hope my friend picks up the check while I was gone. Then I saw Magnum P.I. in line and figured I'd flirt with him as well, which is all so much for one line that I love. That she is mm. so blatantly open about her. Uh, it, it's not lying, but definitely like she leaves so that um, Rebecca will pick up, pick up the check. And then she gets into line so that she could flirt with Ted. Like she doesn't mind that he knows that she's being deceptive to an extent. And then. uh, Do you think the design of this line boss is to vindicate me for my theory of Higgins name? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, right. Maybe. I mean, it could be just that there's only a couple good mustache (laughs) <laughs> like well, people that you can, it could just be okay. We're talking about the mustache, but I think if it's on Sudeikis's mind, he wrote this episode. He um, did write the episode. Granted, and he, he didn't come up with the like mustache. the overall brilliance of the show. I think we've established that was Joe Kelly. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. So either either it was uh, Jason Sudeikis or it was Joe Kelly. I feel like it must be intentional, and we'll get to it later. But she does give him a different nickname later. So right. yes, I feel like specifically mm-hmm. calling that out. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, okay, so she says, yeah, I think I fucked it. She actually like is thinking when she says that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. what does uh, Paul John Pope say, coach? I, I actually get off in about 30 minutes if you'd like to. No, of course not. <laughs> I love, I love though, like, she does not respond to him. And that is all the response mm-hmm. he needs. Right. So like, again, like the clumsy version is the clumsy, but that this was so elegant. She's thinking about how she screwed up. So she's in her own world. And so, yeah, she never even registers that this guy shoots his shot. Listen, we're watching, we're watching as, as um, women are like doing this thing, this break the ice thing for their friends. And, and I know as a man, I sit back and I watch it and like wide eyed stupor, like, wait, is this how it actually is? And, and I can tell you that if you are a man, um, not unlike Paul John Pope, and this beautiful woman is right there, like letting you know that you know she's sort of open to being approached. You know, he has this moment of self doubt. He has this moment of like, oh my god, should I do this? Like, how often is this going to happen in my life? Like, what if this could possibly? And he gives it a shot, and I was like, "Bravo, Paul John Pope!" <laughs> and right away, like, no, of course not. Why would he? Like, he's his own worst critic. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh god, the whole thing is it's he's that hotel's Nate. It's just like a one act play watch. Yes, he's that yeah. hotel's Nate. That's really good. Yes. But they don't have a Ted Lasso at the hotel. No. No, they don't. If only every workplace had one. So what happens to all the Nates in the world until they're activated by a Ted Lasso coach? Uh, I think they lead very, very sad, uh shy lives. Not even shy, because shy is different than scared. So, yeah, scared lives. So somebody comes by and says, I have a hard time hearing people who uh, don't don't speak with confidence. Right. Exactly. Um, Okay, so the team is we cut to um, Sassy walking away. We do this like I don't often notice the bizarre edits, but we do like this little time cut thing where we just we 
we see Sassy walk away, and we don't. They don't want to like instantly cut to her. It's just a weird cut to have her right show up right mm-hmm. at the table immediately after. Mm-hmm. So they intersperse it with like a little sort of a little like dolly shot of of the guys crying at Iron Giant to to prove Ted was right. And then Sassy returns to the table and she says, "What, boss?" She said, "I just met the Marble Man." And then she asks where Stinky's gone. Now. Something that's interesting, and, and I'm I'm going to try to bring this back. Oh God, I wonder if we should address this. I think maybe I'll, I'm going to put the I'm going to put this out there because I'm going to forget it if I don't talk about it right now. After mm-hmm. this episode, Coach and I talked, and Coach, do you mm-hmm. remember telling me? Yeah. Do you remember? Oh, you remember this? Were you going to bring it up? I do. I do. I, I was just considering whether to bring it up. So here we go. The Marlboro Man. I think it's amazing. That's I think that is an amazing choice in the writing to have her describe him that way because Ted other than the mustache could not be any less the Marlboro man if he tried. <laughs> like the Marlboro man stands alone and is this sort of like gruff uh, guy, I can't imagine the Marlboro man has ever read Dharma Bums. Never mind a wrinkle in time. I don't know if he can no, read. Like this, can he read? Yeah, like yeah, like and and it, and I think it's an amazing juxtaposition of this old model of manhood and what we're gonna see now. And if she thought she was flirting with the Marlboro man, um, yeah, that's a that's a miss because she's she's flirting with the kind of guy who has thoughts on whether or not there should have been more uh, female Smurfs. Like, he is not the Marlboro Man. And I think it's great that she sees him and assumes he is. Well, I don't know if you're 100% right about that because I want you to – I'm going to set a scene for you. Mm -hmm. Imagine the Marlboro Man, one foot up on on a log. He has his cigarette. He's got his rawhide. Mm -hmm. He's got his hat. And then I imagine Mm – just imagine him saying this line. Am I cook for Cocoa Puffs for thinking that? <laughs> you know, you guys, you needed you needed to call me after this conversation because I could have given you the female perspective on it because it makes Good. perfect sense to me that he she would call him the Marlboro Man. So there's this thing that happened where all of the characteristics associated with what we find uh, attractive in straight het cis men is mm-hmm. about being sort of a bully more than anything else like you want mm. a man who isn't soft who is uh never cries who is gonna go out and take control of the world blah, blah. and that's not it that's that's not really i think what would have ever drawn women to the idea of the marlboro man the idea mm. is that you have a guy who can take care of himself who is able to survive even under, you know, the elements, if he's out there taking care of the cattle or whatever, he knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, he is self-reliant. He seems confident. Mm-hmm. Wait, seems and, and mean- they believe, women believe this man exists? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> like, start, like starting from option A, he can take care of himself. And, okay, well, yeah, that was nice. See- that is the thing exactly is that somehow when women were like, oh, it's super attractive that you're confident. Too many men mm. heard, oh, you want me to be super aggressive with you. It's like, no, mm. no, 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 no. Like th- there's there's a disconnect that happened between what women find attractive about people like Magnum P.I. and what the dudes picked up out of that. W- what we think is attractive is 
being confident and being sure of yourself and being self-reliant and being able to take care of yourself and knowing how to dress for dinner, maybe something like that. Like a guy who knows how to pick out a suit is attractive. And so it's like, Jason Sudeikis is just attractive by himself. He is. He's an attractive man. The mustache isn't doing it for me. But I could see (laughs) another woman thinking like he is manly and masculine in a way that expresses his confidence and his self-assuredness. And I am going to go hit on that. I kind of want to do a follow-up question here. And it's this. And obviously she saw him first, right? But what do you think how do you think that the the playful banter how or how does the playful banter at the desk play into what you're saying specifically like him being a i would think him being able to laugh at himself speaks to the kind of confidence you're referencing as opposed to like the chest puffed out confidence that you know maybe isaac would think you're talking about so i am not the right woman to ask about this um because i'm gonna buy you that (laughs) t-shirt That's great. <laughs> so uh, uh, I don't know where even to begin with all this exactly. There was a joke with my college friends for a bit um, about how I would walk into a party, survey the room, flag one guy and go, oh, OK, him. And and then I would try to make out with him all night. Like, And I, I, mm. did, I did pretty well a lot of the time. I also want to go on record saying that. Um, so I think that there is definitely a component of me that's like, that guy seems attractive. I'm going to see what happens there. But also one of the times that I did end up hooking up with a guy, the the line that I fell for was, so do you ladies like robots? So I think <laughs> I that, might that not That does not be. surprise me with you. That does not at all. <laughs> you, you love chess champions. Two years, Illinois State champs, baby. Woo! I, yeah, that, I, I'm not going to write that part down, I, boss. I hope you don't take no, it personally. No, no, no. I, I, I understand that. I would that like to. Sense. I always, I always <laughs> like to put a put a note in into things. When I see a show that is an homage to one one other thing, I like to make a note of it. And I know I've I've sort of mentioned the Magnum PI thing, but when you just mentioned this, boss, Tom Selleck's Magnum PI was not the Marlboro Man. He was a wide departure, like wild departure from that. He was sensitive. He was funny. He was vulnerable. He was goofy at times. He was a a terrible with money. He was a grifter at times. He was, um, Hmm. you know, he could be very, very slick, but he could also be sort of nerdy in certain ways. And that was a huge departure, like, as a role model for men growing up. I'll, I'll tell you, when I grew up, I remember... I used to I love Magnum PI. I watched every episode many, many times. Um, I also loved uh, Hawaii Five O, and you had Jack Lord as, as mm-hmm. McGarrett. And these are two mm-hmm. very different avatars of men. One is just, you know, very laconic. That just the facts, ma'am, kind of thing. You know, they're both like versions of order in in the in a chaotic world. But Magnum was just funny and and accessible, and um, I mean, ha- it helped him a lot that he was just utterly breathtaking <laughs> but that, yeah. that, was, that was just a bonus but but in general i think a lot of the there may be no ted lasso without i'm guessing sudeikis watching the same episodes i watched and many many people of gen x little little boys watched thinking 
oh, this guy's like not a knucklehead tough guy at all. Yeah. Mm. And he's not even a super, he's not James Bond. He's not suave in a way that's untouchable. I, I not mean, a, I not think, at all. No, he's suave yeah. in a way like, oh shit, oops, I crashed the Ferrari. Sorry. Ooh. Yes. But, you know? And, you know, one of the other like staples from my childhood of what an attractive man is, um, also another Ted, Ted Danson, Sam Malone on Cheers. Who was a yes. mess in so many ways, yes. and also bedded half of the women in Boston. Like yes. super attractive, not a, a super rugged, unemotional, distant man. He was right there, and he was funny. Not not a bright bulb. Yeah, no, he's not great. not super bright, but not not a Woody. That's for sure. <laughs> right, that right. is true. He gave me a Woody. <laughs> <laughs> That is inappropriate. Oh, that is so inappropriate. You always that go is. there, Coach. Okay, so where do we? We just met the Marlboro Man. Where has Stinky gone, Boss? Where? Where did Stinky go? Uh, she went to pee. And what is their toast that they have? To Rebecca. And then, even though she toasts to Rebecca, Sassy says, uh, "That's not Rebecca." And and basically starts to fill Keely in on how Rebecca was, I'm going to say pre-Rupert, when she was, uh, you know, always strong, but not cold. She was funny. And then she busts out the bombshell that Rebecca also has bars and asks if mm. Keely has heard her singing voice yet. That she's got a beautiful singing voice. And it, I, the first time I watched it, I couldn't believe it either. Like, it, I... I can't imagine Rebecca being willing to be goofy enough that a singing performance would require. Yeah. I, I like the fact yeah. that she says she's uh, strong, yeah, but not cold. Yes. So we're going to get to that a little bit. So um, Sassy mentions that her and Nora would sing. Nora is Sassy's daughter. Um, and she says a great line. Uh, Coach, what is that line? If you, about if you like Rebecca, if you like, if it, yeah, if you like that woman, you are gonna love Rebecca. Which I love. To me, part of it was you're you're in some ways meeting a character. My Rebecca became right. You, you're you're meeting this cold version. This whole thing she's got going on here. If 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 you think that's fun, you wait till you, wait till you really see what's going on. So I, I I like I like the promise of that. I feel like it was a promise that was made to Keeley, but I also watching it felt like it was a promise that was made to me. There was no way they were having this conversation, and I wasn't gonna at some point get to see how fun she could be. And I felt like I was already getting some glimpses of it. Like when you get invited out to smoke, that means at some point you used to go out and smoke. Mm -hmm. I want to know more about her. <laughs> Who was the let's step outside and smoke woman. I, I, I'm curious to hear more about her. Did you either, did either of you um, have the sense we were getting a glimpse of maybe season two, Rebecca, like they're foreshadowing a different version of Rebecca than, than we're going to see this season. I mean, I super hope so. Yeah. I, I didn't think it, but yeah, I'm with I'm with boss on that one. I I I hope so. I also think it doesn't mean she'll, it doesn't mean she'll be unrecognizable, right? Again, like it, this could be the like she was cold and her heart she hit her heart, and now you know every Saturday morning she gets up and feeds the puppies and helps the children. You know, like I don't. We're not going to meet her because that's not who Rebecca is. But we may get to see her, you know, play with Nora again. And that'd be nice and fun. She's going to do it in a big giant house. 
that, you know, she can now afford to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that idea of her being a real, in quotes, person uh, in this world, but that we're going to get to see more of who she really is. Right. Do you want to do that thing where you pretend you wanted to pay? <laughs> that was a really key thing. Oh, you absolute piece of shit. I was just about to do that. And Keely jumps. <laughs> Keely's just a good, good sport. She jumps right in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think this whole thing is, I still, for, for the record at this point, I, I'm still, I was very nervous. I had a little, little butterflies because I didn't, I didn't know if I liked Sassy at this point. I didn't know if I, yeah. oh, really? I, I liked, I, I'm with, uh, Boss and I'm with Keely. I liked Sassy. Pretty much in that first scene, but certainly by the time she gets a hug from Keely, my feeling was thanks, Keely, because mm-hmm. like I, I was in. I mm-hmm. wanted to know more about her. I thought she was a lot of fun. I, I also don't like cheap people in general. I like generous people, and so her like hoping my friend is going to pay the bill, even though it's honest, and she calls herself out. I'm kind of like, right? Eh, don't, I mean, don't love I, you, but whatever. I, I, I definitely understand that. But I also remember um, in the early days of a relationship I was in, I found out that my significant other made twice as much as I did and had no student loan debt. And we were in our 20s. And so nobody was making a shit ton of money, but he was making way more than I was. And before that, we had split all of our dates, you know, each paying the uh, switching, alternating when we would pay. and when I found that out, when, when he let that slip, I said, oh, that that's great. Congratulations. I'm never paying for dinner ever again. So, like, nice. I think when there is that much of a disparity, you just, like, the rich person's paying. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine. She, if she was cool with it, I, I like that Rebecca called it out. And, yes, and Rebecca no, was like, oh, it, you want to do that thing? where like Because then it's just like, okay, yes, we can call this out. I mean, no matter what, the rich person should pay. It's, it's so, I mean, that's even, gro- talk about the more gross thing is when the rich person doesn't obviously listen, we can, we can get into there's, there's subtleties to all of these different relationship dynamics, but in general, like it's just, I don't like people to try to get out of a bill and I don't like people who have the wherewithal to handle the bill and don't automatically go. Of course. Like if I take my nephew out, who's in in college, I'm paying like, what are we talking? You know what I mean? It's like really basic stuff. But I think I took that more in the vein of howdy neighbor and yes. the fifty one fifty joke, right? Yes. Like we they've had many dinners together. They know the routine. Like I think we're playing catch up. Yeah. But I don't think like Rebecca and I think the the this scene plays it out. Rebecca knows, of course, she's gonna pay, and you know, so they're, they're just kind of doing their, their no, sports. no, sassy's not I good enough it. for Ted. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I am telling you, I would be willing willing to bet either one of your lives on the fact that this became a joke because Sassy originally did pretend, like not pretend to pay, but she's like, oh, I'll pay. And then eventually right. they played it up where now this is the thing. Yeah. No, that's a really, yeah, that really, good right point. really good point, coach. Really good point, boss. Okay. So we cut to Ted. He is with the papers and he has been drinking. His hair is messy. How often have we seen his hair messy? Uh, exactly. Never. Maybe, maybe, maybe once. I think first see episode, he gets out of the shower and his hair is not yet quaffed. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. But, but okay. in general, Ted has, has put, is very put together. And this is a visual indication that he's a mess. 
and that right. he he may be drinking more than we know he's been drinking. He's clearly drinking, uh, wearing a Joe Arthur Casey Gatestack T-shirt. As uh, was that the was that the also the screensaver, or was that a different barbecue place in Kansas? City? I think it was the same. I would need to double check because I did not catch the shirt. Got but it. Yeah, I, I feel like he would have just the one. So he's he is uh, distraught. Now I'm going to give you my take. I'm going to give you my take on this, and then you can refute it or yeah, whatever. Yeah. My take is this: he he's been drinking. He looks in the mirror. He gets a text. Okay, and tell me what you think he hopes that text might be. I mean, I think he probably hopes every text is Michelle saying, "What was I thinking? We belong together." Right. Don't. Don't whatever you do, don't sign it. Don't sign the paper. I've had a change of mind. I think he's still I think what we're witnessing here is him still experiencing being being tortured by hope and the hope is what kills you, right? Mm. Wow. So is that is that a fair assessment of what might be happening here cuz he flings his phone down when he sees that it's from her lawyer. Yeah. He gets like visibly angry. Right. And yeah, I'm. I think he's not. All right, so I think there are few there are a few pieces here, but I think he is being forced more and more each day. The ring's already been put in the Altoid tin, right? Like he's being forced to face the reality, and so that reality might be, "Hey, I'm yucking it up with my son about you know bumping into John, you know John and uh, Paul." And then now suddenly, you know, my wife comes on and uh, sign the divorce papers. Like he he he's being forced to face his new reality, and he can't look at it. And so I think part of that look in the mirror is him like he can't. Um, and having maybe a time or two in my life been in a hotel room and had a, a, a nip or two more than uh, one might advise. There's something very specific about being away from home, alone in a hotel room, like whatever it is you've been able to sort of like skate past, not pay attention to, uh, clean your desk or, or rearrange the, uh, the, the dental floss, uh, to avoid. It ain't there anymore. And so you're just forced to like be there with you in like a generic nightstand. Like and, and Howard, I, Howard I, Johnson's I thought this therapy. Was specific. Hey, man, I think really, like, I think this doesn't play out this exact way at home, but I think, like, what are you going to do? You're here with Keely on the TV and uh, a bed to sleep in, and that's what you got. And I think he's, you know, everything else is stripped away, and he's got to face this thing. And he can't um, specifically, and that's what, I what can't, can't he do with his, um, specifically, three words I'm tr- I'm thinking of, what are the three words mm-hmm. he cannot do with his marriage? Let her go. Yeah, let it go, right? He can't let his marriage go. Yeah. So that will we'll come we'll come back to that. Um, boss, do you have any I, any words of it, of wisdom for this scene? I, I the only thing that I thought was Michelle might be pushing a little too hard to get this divorce taken care of. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that she doesn't have a reason to. I'm just saying that like I don't think it has been a super long time. It doesn't seem right. like he's dragging it out. She asked him that morning to look at it. She knew that he was having an away game. Like maybe the text from you and from your lawyer might be a little bit much for one day when he is getting ready for a game. Like 
it, it, you cut the dude a little bit of a break. That's interesting. I don't know why you're such a woman hater, but whatever. I know. I, I really hate women. That That's really funny. One thing I did want to highlight here, and and there's no for me, there's no way that this was a mistake. The little army man, of course, callback, fantastic, loved it. This little army man is throwing a grenade. Oh. And I don't think that's a coincidence. No, definitely not. And he is now... Like, it's his turn to throw the grenade. Like, he built a thing. He built a thing. And he is now being told, hey, uh, pull the pin, throw the grenade. Let's get this thing over with. And I and I just thought that that was a, a brilliant little choice, like, another, you know, a thousand other brilliant little choices in the season. But that, that struck me. As I was on a cruise in Greece through the Greek islands. And I ended up bumping into this dude named Andrew. He was like a year older than me. Hysterical guy from England. And I don't remember how we got talking about this. This is like I was 19 at the time. And I remember him saying, I don't know how people who get divorced, like, show their face. And I was like, what do you mean? Oh, wow. He's like, because you're the biggest failure in the world. Like, oh you my had God. one fucking decision to make and you blew it. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow. God, God. And I think, like, that stigma is out there. And... Part of it, to, like, this this feels like a capitulation to Ted. You know, you got it. Like here, here's him throwing this grenade on this this thing. He right, he he built this life, and it's got to go. And he's agreed to it, and he's trying to be, be a adult about it. But um, you know, he's got he's got lawyers texting him. He's got, in my opinion, he's had way more alcohol than we saw him have. He's a total mm-hmm. mess, and all of a sudden, some idiot is scraping the floor by his door. And 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 what happens with that boss? Oh God! So it, it, he's upset. He throws his phone. There's the scraping noise, and he goes and opens the door. And Nate is literally on his knees, trying to slip an envelope with his thoughts about the pregame talk to the team underneath the door. And Ted, as much as he has, as much as we've seen him lose his mind, loses his mind on poor Nate. And and Nate relayed prior to this how he thought it would go down. If yes. He yes. And 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 oh my God. this is an affirmation of that because this is <laughs> completely uncharacteristic, right? I mean, so what is and put yourself right. in Nate's shoes, coach? What's he thinking? Oh, he's like, here we go. I'm fired by morning. Better start packing my stuff. Call mom. Let her know to clear up my room. Like he's like he yeah he's got to go back to his room thinking all is absolutely lost. I, there's one thing I want to point out about this exchange with Nate, and it actually just hit me um, as 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 Boss was making her point and the, the scraping back and forth and all of that. Um, is there's a there's a phrase I, I I came up with a little while back, which is there's something about you that really annoys me about me, and <laughs> and I think that's what we're watching right now with him because he is actually sitting at his desk three sheets at least to the wind doing exactly what Nate is on the floor in the hallway doing with those notes, right? I know I should do this. It is the next step in my progression. It is time to move into the next person I'm supposed to be. I'm scared of shit and really don't want to leave behind the safety of what I already know. So I think, yes, in parties, it's annoying to hear that sound and and, and and all the surface reasons why that makes sense. But if we were to do a little bit more of a dive on Ted, 
He's like, why don't you make up your mind? Be a man and slide it under the desk. And who he's really yelling at is himself. Why don't you be a man and just send the stupid message and and, and get this thing over with? She 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 wants her divorce. Yeah, great, that's a great point. Great point. Great point. I didn't know you had it in you, Coach. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm I'm done for now. See you guys. Yeah, episode eight. We'd All like right. to thank Coach Bishop for joining us. Um, <laughs> I would say that um, there there is also. Um, Sometimes, you know, you listen to a podcast where people uh, talk about Ted Lasso. What they do is they um, they keep it under mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, 28 mm-hmm. hours and they do these. <laughs> pathetic that is not hot a podcast takes. for us. No, it's just 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 so it's weak sauce. But they do these pathetic hot takes. And what they say is I've heard people say this. Uh, Ted is too perfect or Ted is a fic- fictitious character. Uh, like he never loses his cool, and I'm like, no, no, no. Right. We've already seen. First of all, we've seen him like make mistakes. We've seen him miscalculate things. We have seen him. There's a version of Ted, which is like frustrated, sort of angry coach that where we got the the Iverson speech, the practice speech, which is mm-hmm, not this. Mm-hmm. This is utterly distraught, drunken, like completely like barbaric, primal. Anger, like if you if you talk about about the way that uh, that he talks to Nate, he's like, "What what's going on?" He's like, "Get out! It's already past curfew. Get out of here! Go on!" Like like that is like some get off my lawn shit. That's that is not the Ted Lasso we know. It is the antithesis of who he aspires to be. But I like that it's in there because it makes him more human. It also means that when he's not being that, he's making a choice. I'll highlight as you described it there too. That it's the second time that we've seen that his family and the breakup of his family is so consuming that it moves him to be totally self-absorbed, which we so rarely see him be that it seems insane. So he's sitting across from Rebecca, right? And he tells the story, right? He tells the the, the story of blah, blah, blah. Oh, it feels good to laugh, right? Remember that mm-hmm. whole scene in her office? This is the second time we've seen where, like, once it comes to the family, like, there's so much going on there that he can't be Ted, who tells you not the story he feels like telling, but the story you need to hear. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and if he is the white rabbit, or if he is the pebble in the pond, your heart bleeds for him because he is able to be Ted Lasso for everyone else, and sometimes you wonder yes. if... He needs his own Ted Lasso in a way, and and people do versions of it, or they do different temperatures of it. But you know, a lot of these things, he has to. He's a bit of an island, so. And I, I'm only going to say that because he is Ted Lasso, he wouldn't need Ted Lasso around him because he's already learned everything that he has to teach other people. I do think that he has people around him who teach him the things that he is missing. Yeah. Starting with beard, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly thinking beard. I'm mostly yeah, always thinking beard. about beard. <laughs> no one can blame you. Um okay, so now we have um him we quick quick shot of him uh going to bed without signing it. Keely's on the screen. They very astutely hit the karaoke button again to let you know her speech. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they bring it right in and take it right out on the karaoke line. So you really are familiar with that line and he's already gone. Um, just zonked out right away. So, which uh, uh, I, I would say that a sleep is a very generous term for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. So he pa- yeah, he passes out in a in a Howard Johnson's, um, just like Coach has from time to time. 
<laughs> um, we've all been there. We wake up and we cut to game time. Game time. And it's the big day of the epic battle with Everton, who they never beat. Um, Higgins is bringing in snacks to his family. And I got the sense like, oh, this is kind of cool for Higgins. Actually, this was meant to be a punishment. But I was like, how often does he ever ever get to watch the game with, um, uh, you know, with uh, his, his kids and his boys and his wife? And so it looked kind of fun. His his wife I, I, and his five boys, and with um, unfortunately no longer Cindy Crawford. Correct. I I thought the Higgins thing was also fun because he's really in, right? So I could see if I'm Higgins and you leave me behind, especially with that final like twist of the knife, where I'm like, screw you. I hope you know what I'm saying. Like I hope an earthquake hits that stadium. Never mind that you lose. So I like I think it says a lot about him as a character, as a man, that he's, you know, all right, she's gotta do what she's gotta do, but I'm still rooting for the team. I thought he's that a was true fan. Cool. Yeah, he's he's in. He's in. Right. So um we have um the shot of the locker room, uh sort of lambs to the slaughter as they <laughs> tape up and put their put their stuff on and it is not it's a somber mood. And Ted taps Nate and says, Nate, can I speak with you, please, outside? So what what's going to happen? Nate knows what's going to happen. What is what is about to happen? This is the beginning and the end. He's going to get right. fired mm-hmm. and uh, his face will be melted off by the That's weekend. exactly right. That's exactly right. And the, wor- the worst part is that he learned last night he's going to get fired. So, you know, he didn't sleep. Poor guy's going on nothing. I mean, T- Ted's oh, tone when he's yeah, right. No, he yeah, he know he's he's been dreading this, and Ted's tone is really like very even, very business like. Nate, Nate, can I speak with you, please? That's a little mm-hmm. more formal than we're we're accustomed to see Ted speak. And what does he say to him, boss? Uh, he says, "I wanted to apologize for last night. I bit your head off for no good reason, and I'm really sorry about that. And I hope that you can forgive me." And that is how you do an apology well. Thank you. That's it's so right. I, they do a few really good apologies throughout the the course of the season, and that's really I did this. I'm sorry. I hope I can make it up to you. Active, all you active verbs on an apology. I yes. bit your yes. head off. Not hey, listen. I know a bunch of things were said. People got a little worked up. <laughs> you know, I, I'm yeah. sorry that you got your feelings hurt for some reason. I guess it has something to do with what I did. Like. Those are bad. About- right. I'm sorry yeah. if you. I'm sorry if you were offended by the way I told you to get back to your room because it was after <laughs> right. curfew. Yeah. When you yeah. remember when you broke the rules about curfew and your feelings got hurt when I barked and I and you and you made, you me, made me yell at you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyone who's been gaslit in their life knows these uh, these terms. So anyway, Nate is. Sh- uh, but I will also say he doesn't even blame it on the fact that he'd had too much to drink. Like there right. are plenty of really decent people who would try to soften it by saying like I didn't yeah. even mean that. I just had too much. Wasn't me. But I got he's fucked just up. Like, no. mm-hmm. I, he's just like, no, I fucked up. I did wrong. I'm sorry. And I hope that you can forgive me. Yes. Right. You don't owe me forgiveness. That's the other part I thought was a great part of that apology. It's like, you could not forgive me. Yeah. We'll see. Like, that's up to you. Yeah. And Nate says, yeah, of course. Also, I read through your notes and they're great. Yes. Oh, my oh. God. <laughs> so good. Relief. Right? Sweet and relief. Like, yeah. and he's like, I agree with every last one of them. And what does he say, coach? But I can't say this to them. And and I and I loved it because there's the again levels to it. 
But I think one of the reasons he can't say it to them is that it's not a Ted message. Right. It's not how he, even if he wanted to deliver those messages, he would deliver them in a Ted way. And that's not a Ted message. That's not a lasso way. Right. Exactly. It's not the last, but, but it needed to, to be said. And I think one of the most important things I've learned, well, hopefully, hopefully about life when I can keep it in mind, but certainly about coaching is you got to be you as a coach. And I can think of like speeches I gave, like straight out of college, working with football team or whatever, that were me kind of like, like trying to reproduce the coaches I'd had and like trying to sound like them and be like them. And the, and I could see that the team wasn't buying it and I really wasn't buying it. And it was a big mess um, when I did that. And there's something you've got to be your true self as a coach. And if that's, you know, if that's Ted Lasso, great. And if that's beard, great, but like, you've got to be that. And this is, um, I like that. He was like, I can't you're do encompassing this. the entire search for, Every every writer that's listening to this knows the search for the writer's voice, your own personal mm-hmm. voice, mm-hmm. and this is this is yes. what it is. And, and guess what? People can hear it; they know it right away. If there's anything yep. dishonest inside your speech, inside the way you're writing, they pick up on it and they know that right away. So you're you're really capturing that. Yeah, I think, and and I think the sh- the the show demands that, right? I mean, we're I don't want to jump ahead to this speech, which like is one of the great. I have I I do have a YouTube playlist of great speeches because that's wow, who I am. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, and and this needs like as soon as I can get it that in that form, I will add it because it's just an amazing speech. But anyway, the point being, Nate came from who he actually was and what he actually sees. And this is the grown, this is like another step forward to the play he had in his pocket. Yeah. He sees a yeah. lot and he probably has forgotten more about yes. football than, than Ted yes, will ever good know. Good callback. And Ted knows it right away. He picks up on that. And I like, I like how he says, um, you know, Nate saw him last night and must've recognized that he was drinking. Cause he's like, are you drunk? When he says like, I, I agree. That's why, well, that's why you're going to do it. It's like, are you drunk? <laughs> like, are you, tr- like, you know, it's like the natural, like mental leap. Like, wait, are, are you drunk? Like, what is, no, you're giving the pregame What's talk happening? and you're going to read them this. I don't know. It'll be fun. And this is the second time we opened the episode with Nate going, no, 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 no. Over black. Mm-hmm. And now we have the second time Nate going, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no, no. And what they do camera wise in this scene. Yes. You want to talk about that a little, Coach? Because I noticed it, and you must have must have jumped out at you, too. Oh, it totally did. They do such brilliant work of making Nate small, almost like child size, like in 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 all these moments in this sequence. Um, and and we'll get to the 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 Roy moment where I feel like there's even a camera move to make sure, like if you've been missing it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think I would- it's. I would done. bet my absolute, like every dime I own, that Brett Goldstein standing on an apple crate in that scene. That might be right. That's I'm, probably I'm right. Quite, That's probably quite right. certain of it. Um, but anyway, Nate goes to give the speech. Everybody bucks him up. This is so. When I think about this episode, this episode doesn't really start for me until here, which is I'm psyched. It took us two hours to get here, so thank you for that. And um. <laughs> um <laughs> This is the this is the beating heart of the episode. What's happening right here? And this starts a lot of action. There's a lot of stuff cooking after this point. But Nate starts a speech. Isaac comes out and bucks him up. Isaac, of all people, the guy that used to throw things and put put him in things and you know whatever. 
Isaac, oh, yeah, 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 you, you got this, bro, all right? And I'm like, you got this, bro, right? And I'm like, this is so, so great. And he says, Isaac, I've noticed of late. And he stops. <laughs> He's like, am I doing this? You know, I love that moment. Right. And again, mm-hmm. the camera centers on Nate. We don't cut to yep. we don't cut to Ted and Beard from their perspective and look back at Nate. The camera's on Nate looking at Ted. This mm-hmm. is his moment. And what does he say, boss, about Isaac? Says he's I've noticed of late that you've been been playing like a big dumb pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody goes Colin actually says, Wow. Sam's eyes pop open. Everyone goes, oh, my God. And then Isaac goes, what the fuck did you just say to me, bro? <laughs> oh. And he points at him, right? And he does this thing. And again, um, Colo Bikini, I mean, he is has his finger out, hanging out there, accusatory finger, threatening finger, right? And then... Nate goes into like, there's a way to being tough without just acting to the way to be aggressive without being whatever. I forget the exact line. And uh, he says, you've been there's a way to be tough without being physical. Sorry. Boss, yeah, no, no, no. The, exactly. that. There's a way to be tough without being physical. You're more concerned with looking tough than being perfect. Tough. And then <laughs> Isaac slowly just withdraws his finger as it, as it hits him. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh my God. And then Nate goes, Sam, Sam goes, oh no. <laughs> I laughed out loud. Because oh, no. <laughs> they, they, they had no idea what this speech was a minute ago. They didn't know why he was mm-hmm. so nervous. And then we find out, oh, this is a roast. Yeah. Yes. And you go, oh, sh- oh, oh yes. shit. No, 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 no. Don't put that spotlight on me. Why did I sit in the front row? Am I crazy? <laughs> right. Right. 100%. Right. You know that moment where you're like, yes. I, I have uh-huh. chosen poorly at this comedy club. What am I insane? This is terrible. So he says, oh, no. What, what, here's another beautiful moment. You ready? He says, you get beat on the wings, right? And he says, you're indecisive, which is so mm-hmm. goddamn funny that that's what Sam is. Because first of all, mm-hmm. Nate, like 12 hours ago, was on his knees in the hallway of a Howard Johnson's mm-hmm. sliding a thing in and out. And be- on the other side of that door, Ted Lasso is... Picking up and dropping a pen, trying to do this, you know, and like, it's like, oh my God, it's just Mm -hmm. such a funny thing to pick up. So he says, you second guess more than a shitty psychic. The only African more imprisoned by their own thoughts is goddamn Nelson Mandela. Again, pause, pause joke. Yeah. I mean, that was, and now, now, but people, now the room starts heating up and, and coach as someone who has, has been a stand up comedian uh, for, for years, you know what that's like when you get the room. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, no, they're 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 with you now, and you can see him feel it. You can see like his shoulders go down a little bit. He relaxes a little bit, and now he's like, "Oh, they like it. They like it." Like, I yeah, it was a, it was a fun moment to uh to watch. There's like a little smile that comes in. Like he's not he's not even the nervous guy he was thirty seconds. So ago. keep in mind, this is this is a this is like a nerd making good fever dream that's happening to Nate here because he opens up against his biggest bully and then he goes to Sam mm-hmm. and then he gets to take on the bully's assistant or the second biggest bully. Mm-hmm. And he says, Oh, you think that's funny? Do you Colin? you and all your fancy step over bullshit? Do you know what that is? Do you know what he's saying? What he's, when he's talking about stepping over. 
Well, it's when you look like you're going to cross, but then you you don't, right? Like I'm, You, you I'm sort of to... do this thing where you literally step over the ball. The ball is rolling kind of when you step over. Do, 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 do. You can do it like both legs. You can do it really quick. But it look you, you look like you're making a cut one way or another. It's a way to twist your hips. It's a way to get people to look mm. down at the ball. If If they can stop looking at your torso and you get them looking at the ball, they're doomed. Because the ball can go wherever Got you it. want, but your your torso, your hips. If you look at a def- at, if you're a defender and you look at an uh, offensive player's hips, they can't literally part with their hips. Right. But they can make the ball right. go anywhere. So if you can step over, it's real fancy shit. It's real Brazilian. It's like a it's a there's a lot of you know real crafty South American footwork. It's not just exclusive to South America, but that's why that's where this mm-hmm. joke comes from. Um, do you wax your pu- uh, you know do you wax your pubes? And he says, did I stutter, dickhead? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> he says, do you wax your pubes, yes or no? No. Then why are you always trying to play like a Brazilian? The place goes crazy. The place goes crazy. And Nate backs up and goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got him now. I did got him now. That? The yeah? Yeah. And he's, like, proud of himself. And and, and Colin, I've got to look up who plays Colin again. But, oh, my God. What just happened? He has so many funny yeah. Lines like that. Oh, it's so good. And and the whole speech is, again, it's about forget how things look and pay attention to how things yes. are. Yeah. yeah. And I love that about And this. then he does the unthinkable. Mm-hmm. He turns his attention to Danny Rojas. <laughs> Woo! I mean. Roast me. Yeah. <laughs> Roast me, amigo. <laughs> Nothing, he wa- nothing walks will get willingly into the into the the crosshairs. You say football is life. Football is life. Yeah. It is life. Right. Well, then your defense is death. I'm like, oh my god. The, the only person I've seen lose their man, man more often is Carrie fucking Bradshaw. Which, by the way, how is that a reference for football players I, in London yeah. in 2020? Yeah, they went. They they went. For well, it. they know they, they know that, it. which is why they do the joke explanation thing. Sex in the city, it's so good because they're yeah. like, okay, we maybe this may be a bridge too far, but they they do it. Per- it's perfect. It's perfect. It's, it's like you can't write it better. It's exactly what you know you have to do. It's the the right character saying the right thing. People are going. Oh, they're freaking out in the locker room, tapping each other on the legs, cat calling. It's it's insane. The place is is an absolute you know melee, and then. And Nate, Nate says yeah again, which kills every time he says yeah and nods and like is taking stock of his of his speech. I just mm-hmm. I mean it's just it's so exciting. And Danny Rojas says what? Tough but fair. <laughs> which which has become a part of like yes. our friend vernacular. Yes. Like it was instant. It was instant. Like it, it's in the text chain all now. The time. It's in the conversations. Tough, I think it. Fair. I think but it all the so time. Good. We we use it in texts. We talk. I know we say it all the time now. Tough but fair. It's so awesome. It's oh my god. I love Danny Rojas so much. And then we thought that was unthinkable because you cannot turn. You cannot attack Danny Rojas. Like what, we're t- he's an ace. We already established he's an ace, right? right? But then, as if that wasn't like the craziest possible choice, what does what does he Oof. say next? Right. Roy. Oof. Roy. Roy Kent. <laughs> I'm angry Great. all the time. And we have su- the, Grr, right, the place right. goes silent, absolute silent. And now we get this utterly beautiful, memorable, like just Emmy worthy. You know, you just go like this is this is just like uh, I think it's just unbelievable. Roy gets up. 
ass off. Really, he's devastating looking, just walks right to Nate and towers over him. And he says, go on, say what you're going to say. And Nate starts to read. And what does he do, boss? Roy grabs the paper, crumples it. Don't read it. Say it to my face. Mm. And then what's the what's the next? <laughs> I mean, right, right. So he does, then, but he does. Nate, he's he he's does. far enough into this persona that he okay, this has got to happen. And what's the what's mm-hmm. the first thing he says, Coach? The great Roy Kent. Oh my God, I, I got chills just when you said that. I, I might start crying yeah. right here because oh my God, I I am so emotional in this scene. It's crazy because. Roy closes his eyes. And to me, I read that like, he says the great Roy Kent and Roy closes his eyes. And I go, oh my God, it, he he knows this execution is coming. It's like mm-hmm. he, he felt this and this is the moment. He always knew it was there. He suspected people were were thinking it about him. No one would ever say it to his face. You know, he's got too much status on the team. No one's ever going to come out and and admit this to him. And what does he say, Coach? You're old now and slow, and your focus drifts. But your speed and your smarts were never what made you who you are. It's your anger. I love what he paused yeah. on, by the way. Just like um, the delivery of this is just next level, like just next level. That's your superpower. That's what made you one of the best midfielders in the history of this league. But I haven't seen it at all on the pitch. I haven't seen it on the pitch at all this season, Roy. I mean, you used to run like you were angry at the grass. You'd kick the ball like you'd caught it fucking your wife, for <laughs> Christ's sake. Which I just, if, if that ain't locker room talk, I don't know what is. And then the, the, to have his friend, like, I mean, the, the teammate, there's a teammate who kind of like yeah. chuckles there in the way that somebody would in the room because that's an, that's an amazing, that's an yeah. amazing line. It's like actually a kind of a funny joke if, if Roy wasn't about to kill you. And then, but that anger doesn't come out anymore when you play, but it's still in there. And I'm afraid of what it's going to do to you if you just keep it all for yourself. Right. And I, I, I mean, I could go over this. I, we could do a podcast episode about this speech alone. But I gotta say, as a guy who maybe along the way has had some anger issues, um, no, that <laughs> hit me so. <laughs> as, as coach goes, oh dear, let's not let it. Let's not get into that today. But no, <laughs> but no, I like I I felt that to my core. And I know Roy did too, because if there's one person in that room who knows that that anger can and maybe is destroying Roy, it's Roy, hundred percent. And and so I just thought that I, anyway, I, that that moment's amazing. And then there's the pregnant pause. And one of the things I loved about the pregnant pause is he yells over to the bench. He's pulling up when he's angry. Everybody clears out. What's actually happening right now? And there's a shot of Ted smiling. Because Ted knows what's happening. Yes. And Ted knows how this goes. Ted read that thing and he goes, oh, my God, we're about to break a 60-year-old streak. That's what's about to happen here. (laughs) And all I have to do is get Nate to say it. Just can't be me. All I have to do is let Nate read this thing and we are going to go. And and so, yeah, when when Roy tears out that bench um, and says, let's go get these fuckers. I I mean, mean... I got chills again. That's I got amazing. chills again. Uh, 
We watched it. Amazing, we watched let, it with, let, me, let me let me toss this in for you real quick. There's an amazing documentary about Jim Valvano and that 83 NC State team, which we saw that picture go up on the wall. And one of the assistant coaches talks about the speech that uh, Valvano gave the night they were going to go out and play Houston for that championship. And what the guy says about the speech is, and when he was done talking, they went through the wall. They didn't even need a door. And to me, when they went out of that locker room, they didn't even need a door. I mean, they could have beaten, if you'd taken the soccer all-stars of all time, Premier League and otherwise, and put them on the pitch against AFC Richmond that day, wouldn't have mattered, man. Though After that speech, oh my God, just just clear out of the way. It's, it's an it art form. It's amazing. it's amazing how the human animal can be motivated by a little chatter just unbelievable you know that you can auditorily process something and that yeah. gives you this kind of 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 adrenaline surge like what I, what I was going to say was when he tore that bench out i was watching it with um juliana and and the two, and the two teenagers uh my two teenagers boy and a girl and when he tore that thing and said let's go get these fuckers we we all i looked around and everybody shed by the, by then it was like my fourth or fifth watch through um so i was looking Burnt. at everybody else and they all kind of like adjusted and kind of wanted to jump out of their seats you know like it was so it's just so motivating to hear that and um it was such a great just a great scene yeah i i thought all the things that you guys said i thought it was phenomenal i loved so much that it went from being a serious earnest talk from Nate where he was going to compliment all the guys and Isaac had his back to it being a roast to Roy, yeah. like resetting the table where he was like, no, you're going to say it to me and it's going to be true. And I'm going to be angry about it. Cause they couldn't walk out of the locker room thinking like, well, they just roasted me and here are some things I need to reflect on. Like Roy got pissed yes. and everybody got pissed and they all decided to go spite Nate and show him how fucking well that they could do. I love it. I um, I like. I always think about the awkward stuff around scenes like this. Like if someone slips on the way out, or if you know, like <laughs> that's just that's just like my my sense of comedy is whatever. Or like somebody like if if everybody leaves and then somehow Coach Beard gets locked in the locker room behind everybody's like guys, guys. Like th- these right. are just like just how my brain thinks. And you know, right, I, we, right. we we're not get, we're not going to get into uh, politics. It's not our not it's not a pol- political podcast. But the other night there was a um a town hall, and one one mm-hmm. was um was the was the current uh, executive um answering questions at his town hall, and then the other one was the was the was the vice former vice president. <laughs> the thing I liked was I read that after the town hall was done, the former vice president just kind of stuck around and was answering questions for people that didn't get to ask, and. After wow. this speech, everybody goes out. Like the, the players have been appropriately motivated, right? But there's still stuff to do. They have to like walk out, and there's this. There's this, so there's this beautiful, I think, just magical lingering moment when, yes. first of all, again, can't if you look at the scene, you look at the framing. We push in on Nate. We see uh, Roy tears out the bench, right? And then, sorry, we we we. We pull back uh, to see Ted enter the frame. We're looking at Nate. Nate is smiling. He cannot believe what he's done, what he's accomplished. And Ted walks up and and uh, says, see, I told you it'd be fun. Right? And then he walks out. And the next thing is Beard does what, Coach? What does Beard do? 
he picks up the papers that were thrown down and he hands them to him. Like he now serves a few things there for me. He now serves Nate, first of all. Like he's now like Nate does the picking up. Not anymore. This is a new Nate, man. Like here are your papers. And I think also you're going to want to hold on to these. Yeah. Like today you became a man, my son. And you're going to want someday you're going to want to have this to look at and remember that like you the day you became a man when Roy Kent took your papers and threw them on the ground. And we all thought we were going to watch you die. And instead, <laughs> you stared him down and told him exactly what he needed to hear, whether he was going to like it or not. Like it was yeah, and then, just amazing. And then Coach Beard, a man who notably it was going to be going to be a gay Talese piece of man nods head because he's so right. he's so you know sort of uh, careful with his praise literally bends over picks up your notes and pats you on the mm-hmm. back and we pull yeah. oh, he means that. we pull back from a smiling mm-hmm. Nate and then what do we hear what's the what what do we hear from the announcer's boss the impossible has happened. Richmond has won at Everton 1-0 thanks to a rare goal from Roy Kent. <laughs> he did I mean, it. I got chills. Amazing. I got chills again. I, what a great show. Jesus. But, talking on the way out, though, because I, I did think it was amazing, and I love that they gapped the game, right? Because I don't care. We won. Yeah. We just won. I just saw the win. It was, it was amazing. But I love there's no longer a need to strut. Yeah. The strut game, that's over. That was like that was the like training wheels to this. And now you you're you strut through life now. We were just teaching you how to do it. You don't have to do a silly dance anymore. Now you know. And so yeah, you got Ted walking out first and Beard walking out next. And you know eventually Nate went out there, but there's no more there's no more need for a game. You get it now. To- totally right. Totally right. He's he's out of the nest for sure, and he's fl- flying on mm-hmm. his own. And it's just a beautiful thing. Kent was absolutely brilliant today. He was like a man possessed. And the first person that barges into the locker room is who? Roy Kent. And just like he led them out, he leads them back in. And they're singing Richmond till we die. In comes Rebecca. In comes Sassy. In comes Keely. Mm-hmm. Right. And Keely hugs mm-hmm. Nate, which is like, yes. this is a, this is a, <laughs> like a famous, beautiful, you know, model. Give us a hug, mm-hmm, Nate. She's mm-hmm. just so God. She's such a doll. Uh, she's a wonderful person. And um, Rebecca takes the while everyone is going crazy. Rebecca takes the takes the opportunity to introduce Sassy to Ted. And what and what does uh, what happens there, boss? Uh, Ted shouts Sassy, and she shouts Marble Man, <laughs> which is awesome that they already have nicknames for each it's other. Really, fun. Rebecca must have. I mean, obviously she must have put it together. But it must have also been weird that they had some relationship she was unaware of. Yeah. She definitely reacts, but is like, oh, okay. Uh, apparently, that's a thing. Yeah. yeah so so y'all have met. And then we have Roy and Keeley. Roy visibly respond, reacts to seeing Keeley, right? And I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I love these two so much. <laughs> I, love, mm-hmm. I love them so much. And um, Roy says, I didn't know you were here. And she says, surprise. And then what does he say, Coach? I've been thinking about you a lot this weekend. And she says, oh, yeah, how come? Because you and your crazy hair keep popping up every time I turn <laughs> on my TV. Which was, I love it because it, yes, great, re- just great callback, fantastic. But also because that, because we know, it's it's funny est because we know and she knows that's not the only reason why. But he's giving her a little, little, yep. little elbow to the ribs there, having a little fun with her. Yes. 
that's a, uh, uh, what is it? Kidding on the square? You're joking right. on the square? Yeah. It, it, what, what he means is I've been thinking about you for a while, but now I have an excuse mm-hmm. to tell you I've been thinking about you. And I'm going to open mm-hmm. not with, oh, I saw you on the TV, but I'm going to open with, I've been thinking about you. That's, that's right. when you get somebody to think about you in a sexual position because you're mentioning something about a sexual position. Totally intentional. I see your game, Roy Kent, and I appreciate it. <laughs> is this how you get to make out with dudes at parties? Yes. Okay. Good to know. Um, say the word for television again, the, the, the truncated word for television. TV. Wait, say it one more time. TV. Okay. All right. I feel like I've heard you say TV. Like, oh, like, like I, I, like, uh, like on, the, on the TV, like the, like cement. I feel like there's put, yeah the emphasis on the Ron Sol- yeah I, I do that with a lot of things it, sometimes it's intentional but now it's gotten to a point where um, sometimes when I'm talking about a TV show that disappointed me greatly I'll say Game of Thrones and people it, they do raise their eyebrows at that it's okay. not no, how I a lot just, of people say it. yeah I don't know I'm just wondering I, I, I thought I heard you say TV when when I and I usually say TV so I was just just curious I was just trying to just curious um, okay anyway. <laughs> Game, how do you say Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. <laughs> I put the emphasis on the I game. like that. I like that. <laughs> All right. Roy Roy says, oh, I listen up. None of you are going back to the hotel because we have something to do. We did something today that no one thought we could do. Coach, including us. Which yep. is why you hit the believe, the believe sign, right? So yep. we're going out. We're celebrating. We're going to ru- rub it in this city's fucking face. Everybody goes crazy. Sam asks, where are we going? And then what happens, boss? Then he pulls Keely up so that she could say, well, Liverpool has much to offer from pubs to clubs to the great Asian pastime of karaoke. So funny. And we cut to Sam singing Wonderwall. Now, I don't know if you guys caught this callback. Do you remember the Mm. Liam and Noel callback? So when in the very first scene, when when Rebecca fires George Cartrick in the in the in the um, script, it was something else. In the original script, it was um, – I forget. I, I forget what it was. But it was not the Oasis joke. And so now we have a little button on the Oasis. You guys both caught that, huh? Ah. Yeah. I did not catch it, but I like it. I like yep. it. And um, now we have everyone singing Wonderwall with Sam. And do you guys notice Keely was sitting next to Roy in this scene? Yes. Yes. Obviously. I did. Nice. But I thought the choice of Wonderwall, I just really found myself wanting to call out because I can't imagine a version of the wall world, excuse me, where that's a song that Ted and Michelle have listened to together at some point or that he thought of her that way. Um, so I thought, you know, with what else is going on around us and the paperwork and this and that, I thought that was a, a, a powerful, a powerful choice for where we're going uh, with Ted. That's that's a good point, um, Danny. Uh, Danny Rojas and Zorro have their shirts have mm-hmm. their shirts off, mm-hmm. and I was like, are they Maybe. are they a thing? I don't know if they're a thing, but oh, I didn't think that, but interesting. I didn't think that they were a thing. I thought that that was uh, more a callback to Jamie because Jamie was taking a shirt off very intentionally with very specific reasons. Where I felt like theirs were more the way that like boys in the summertime don't like to have their shirts on. Mm-hmm. Got it. Th- there okay. seemed more uh, innocent without being naive yes. about it. They were just like, "Well, I don't need a shirt." Right. Yeah. Believe me. Look. Look at me. Yeah. 
You all rather I don't wear a shirt. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, no, no. If I looked like Zoro, I would never have a shirt on ever. I'd be in the bank with no shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be, I'd be at fucking, I'd be at the Cheesecake Factory. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you name it, you name it. Like, those guys are beautiful. Okay, so Ted sitting alone in is is, uh, is something that I noticed. Not even with mm-hmm. Beard, not with Nate. He is very much alone in the middle of this huge party, and Sassy and Stinky go out for a smoke. Now, there's a line right away where they're just, like, catching up, and Sassy says she wants to ride Ted's mustache like a jet ski. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Correct. I loved it. Did, did you? you lo- I was so uncomfortable with that line. <laughs> I was so bothered by that line. That is so funny. It's just, it's funny. But I'm like, oh, no, that's not who... Did, I was kind of like, will you le- please leave him alone? He's vulnerable right now and oh no no that's funny okay so he's vulnerable but i think one of the issues with ted is this whole he seems too perfect could also accidentally translate into he's sexless yes and like listen wherever you fall on the sexuality spectrum asexual to pan and whatever's in between i'm good with all of that if ted was not interested in romantic or sexual relationships that would be fine as a character choice. But assuming that because he is a good, honest, caring, sensitive yes. man, he somehow doesn't get down is a bad idea. I, I don't think I was suggesting I don't totally think I was suggesting that. he doesn't get down. I mean, look at the mustache. He gets down. Right. You you make the mustache <laughs> for a reason. But yeah, no, no. I was just like, oh God, like I'm like, you you think he's something he's not. But anyway, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Maybe maybe it's just me not not loving the sassy character. Well, one of the things I like about it uh, in a broader storytelling kind of way, and we can get into more specifics in a, in a little bit, but I liked that also that he doesn't get down could also be like, well, no woman's going to find that attractive, right? Like there's, there's, there's always that conversation of like, sure. The Ted's of the world, they all get to go home and be alone. And the Jamie's mm-hmm, of the world mm-hmm. always get the girl. And I, and I, and I like that. She's like super turned on mm-hmm. by Ted. Like, I don't know. Like it just, again, yeah, I, I, I found that fun. Yeah. Like she's, not knowing where it was going. I just found that fun. She's sweating them hard. That's good. No, that's good. I, you know, in one way, you're like, oh, good. She's got great taste. In another way, you're like, I mean, at least I was like, oh, man. He might just need a bad girl. You don't know. We don't but know. Is she a bad? Isn't she a quote unquote bad girl? I don't know. She's super fun. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. She wants to be a bad girl with him. Yes. Yeah. And after after uh, Derek or whatever. Yeah. She's, Darren. She, Darren. Yeah. She's she's she can do whatever the hell. She wants. Um, okay, so <laughs> all right. Of, uh, she, Rebecca starts to say, "Hey, you know, this is my engagement weekend, mm-hmm. and I love this." And she's like, "Yeah, dummy. Like, why do you think I'm? Here? Of course, I know. Mm-hmm. Why do you think I'm here?" And that leads Rebecca into, "Mate, I'm so sorry. I didn't know girls called each other mates. I thought that was a only a dude thing, but I guess it's a. Uh, I guess it's not. I think it's really cool. I didn't. I just didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get Rebecca apologizing." And she says, God, that man took so much from me. And boss, what did Sassy say? This is where I actually started to really like Sassy. because This is the type of thing that's like, 
cut through the bullshit. What did she say to Rebecca in response to God, that man took so much from me. She, she called her out. She said, uh, Rupert is a horrible man who built an ivory tower. He kept you captive in, but you climbed every single step of that tower on your own. Yes. And that you made a six year old girl wonder what she'd done wrong. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Oof is right. We both just said oof. Yeah. That is, that is a gut punch. Yep. But one that she needed to hear, like you can't, Mm -hmm. when you put all of the ownership of the relationship on the person you were in the relationship with, even when they're as horrible as Rupert, you take yourself out of the equation in terms of making things better. You, you can't fix Rupert because Rupert's a fucking asshole and he's never going to change, but you can change you. Well, here, well, here's the thing you, you, you went, we've talked a lot about apologies and the proper way to do an apology. But also yes. when right. somebody confronts you, there's a proper way to accept responsibility and go, yeah, you know what? Yes, I mm-hmm. did do that. And I accept responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different thing. If she says, you know what? Well, I mean, yeah, but you believe, trust me, you weren't there. And this guy's like, a, you know, he's, he's pretty persuasive. And, you know, it, like there is a epidemic of victimhood in, in, in a lot of situations where people, uh, want to? I know. I know. This is like one of my classic things that I've always my, done my whole life until I was in my forties, which is I can tell you every reason why shit didn't go right for me, and I can tell you who to who's to blame for it, and it ain't me. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what yeah. I mean. I'm a I I'm a master mm-hmm. at that, and I can like I can mm-hmm. spin a yarn, boy, to tell you that the various tumblers of fate that put me in unwinnable situations that had nothing to do with my own decision making. And I lived like three quarters of my life that way, and uh, and and I see it all the time. And and it's just a thing where you go, you know what? I got to take ownership. I I had a part in this, and I I made clear choices, even if I didn't know I made choices. Mm-hmm. My my lack of a choice was a choice. And so you know, yes. it, there's all these th- different things that people need to come to terms with and own it, and just go, yes, I did. And 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 Rebecca fully accepted her responsibility in all of it, which I really admired. I think building off of that too, there's something around, there's something, and we, you know, we've had our exchanges about Rupert and we ain't done with him. Mm. But I think we're all complicit on some level. Well, maybe not all, but we're complicit in the creation of the Ruperts of our world. And yeah. like we've all seen the high school movie where the horrible popular kids or who everybody tries to be friends with, right? Like we, we, we participate. If we didn't all continue to sing the Jamie Tart song, it's like we all learned when we were first playing sports at age five that it's not me, me, me. Why are we all singing a song to this guy while he pointed himself and says me, me, me? Like we're all a part of this with him. So Jamie doesn't do that on his own. Rupert doesn't do that. Rupert shows up. They know Rupert's been cheating on his wife. They know how Rupert's behaved. Rupert is obviously crashing his party. She says on the mic that he RSVP'd that he wasn't coming. Here he comes in taking somebody's champagne literally out of their freaking hand. And we all just, oh, isn't he charming? Isn't he great with his white jacket? We participate. We make Rupert possible. And we got to stop it. And it's not like I'm talking about our politics or anything like that right now. I'm just saying maybe I am. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I will say I don't know of a more catchy song than the than the baby shark song that they stole for Jamie Tart. 
I think that's so great that that's the song they I mean, chose. Oh my like, god! It, it, like, how many parents watching this like just started twitching? Yes, yeah. yes. Like, yeah. could you make it more annoying to me that that like what is happening Seriously. right now? Yeah, that's great. Um, so we have this beautiful. So anyway, really nice moment between Sassy and Stinky, and totally adult and mature and honest. And I'm just like, you just want to stand and clap because it's just so good. And then this wonderful moment. I love this moment. I don't know if you guys loved it, but Keely comes out and she goes, I thought you guys ditched me. And she goes, ah, like, like she shakes it off and she goes, Jesus, I didn't know I had abandonment issues until right now. I'm like, that is so clever and smart and plugged in. That's the same thing she does when she gets on the couch, by the way. And she talks about when she first invades Rebecca's couch and puts her feet up. She does that same yeah. shake it off thing in that scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. she does. It, right. And also what I liked about this, there are ways that people can passive aggressively look for confirmation or reassurance from the people around them. I like that she does that to an extent here, but also fully acknowledges what she's doing. Like mm-hmm. her new best friend. It has her old best friend in the picture. So she could easily be pushed out. I'm sure that she's a little bit sensitive to that. And she could be pouty and whiny about it. But instead, she's like, ah, I'm, I, I was afraid you guys ditched me. I'm so glad you didn't. These are my abandonment issues. Let's continue with the night. Right. And it's not, it's not hey, Rebecca, make sure you don't ditch me like off to the side or something like if you're just, yeah. you know, there's nothing. Like, she just calls it right out and owns it. Yeah. But also the maturity that you, that you point out, boss, of, it's my abandonment issues. Yes. Right. Yep. Let's say they had left. Like that has the meaning you give it. And I think there's something cool about Keely owning that part and being like, they didn't abandon me. Like we were all hanging out at karaoke and then they did whatever they went and did that. She owns it. Like how I feel about it is mine. Yes. Yep. And I think that's super mature. So if someone's putting a song for Rebecca. It wasn't her. Someone must've done it for her. I wonder who, and we get a, a interstitial of, Beard finishing up <laughs> Lady Gaga <laughs> pretty, pr- pretty yeah. damn well, I thought. Um, and um, uh, yeah. there's this little cut scene that has led to a lot of internet chatter where Rebecca mm-hmm. goes up to, um, to sing and Sam takes her coat. Mm-hmm. And it has led to all sorts of season two speculation. I, I don't, oh. I don't want them to get together. Um, oh, because no. I, just, I, I just don't like this. I don't, I don't know. I guess it's like the that didn't. Yeah, that didn't land on me that way at all. If anything, I what I got there was a little closer to a maternal kind of deal. Like I, rem- I more so remember like holding my mom's coat with that energy more than my wife's. I don't know. That wasn't the energy I got. Yeah, from no, no. I didn't. I didn't read it that way either. But like, I guess in lieu of, I guess. Uh, anyway, in lieu of uh, – we'll talk about this as we get to the end of the season. But in lieu of, of Rebecca finding any other uh, available Bachelor, I guess Sam's the closest thing to having mm. uh, sort of dedicated scenes with her. Um, you know, the, the scene where he went to talk her into the seance or the, the, the curse, mm-hmm, the curse mm-hmm, fire, mm-hmm. and then this this little beat that they – like, what, if, if it's not important and if it doesn't matter, is this just like, oh, they have a bond because of the curse fire scene? It could just be that. Like right. that they've that they have right. an understanding. Anyway, as soon as Let It Go starts, I get all misty. I have a real hard time. <laughs> like it's such mm-hmm. an iconic song. And like for those of us who have children of the of a certain age, it played nonstop in our house for years. 
uh, like years. It wasn't like, oh, six, six times. Like I, I've heard this song thousands of times, many times. And, um, they constructed the entire episode around the song. Um, when I heard, um, podcast with Hmm. Hannah Waddingham, she's like, oh, can we do a different song? She was worried about singing that song. And, and Sudeikis is like, yeah, if you can pick like a song that encompasses all of the things that we're talking about, something that, where you have her being the ice queen singing, you know, he didn't say this, but this is what I inferred from it. You know, the Rebecca's like singing the literal Elsa ice queen role. Mm -hmm. You also have, Mm -hmm. um, the lines of, you know, the, the, the lyrics of let it go is, is all the stuff that, you know, boiling inside and, you know, all the, all the stuff that, that the Ted Lasso figure is, is, uh, is experiencing the character. And there's just such a tremendous amount cooking in the scene. So, she starts to sing, and I really loved the moment. Uh, no, right before she sings, she sees Sassy. She thanks Sassy for, for being a great friend. And then she says, um, I want to dedicate this to my goddaughter. And I was like, I'm getting even misty just talking about it. She, <laughs> she, she, I'm like, this is her road back. Because, like, listen, I, 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 you get, get, you get in like, um, you know, altercations with friends, you grow apart from, from from adult friends, whatever. When you have a a child that looks up to you, that loves you, Mm -hmm. it's a pure, Mm -hmm. wonderful thing. And to sort of like find, find a way to abandon that, even if it's justifiable, or even if it's like you, she somehow in her head could do the mental gymnastics to stay away from Nora. You know, that's, that's a protected, beautiful relationship. And this is like her way back. Yeah. And I think speaks to the, the sort of the other end of the spectrum. We talk about the bookends in the in the episode. I think, you know, yeah, we're going to, you know, get a bottle of champagne and drink it. And then the past goes away. And the only way through it is through it, man. That's like, that's an emotional yes. thing that I, yes. you know, I don't know where I picked that up along the way, but it's really helped me since I picked it up. The only way through it is through it. And if you don't go through it, you won't really be able to move forward. And uh, I think this is her going through it. She needs to tell that child she loves her. For now, the video will do. But in my mind, there's definitely a reunion, right? There's definitely taking her out to lunch. There's definitely a trip to a museum or whatever is appropriate for the two of them. But she's going to tell her again, like, I love you and I screwed up and sometimes adults do. Um, So anyway, I, I, yeah, it it was, I I definitely got choked up. So I I feel like this part of Rebecca's persona has been asleep, has been dormant. And I doubt she ever would have done this in front of Rupert. Oh, God, no. Right? I just feel like this has been gone. And so she is like, this is like, you know, like a a phoenix rising from the ashes. And she's Mm -hmm. phenomenal, you know, knockout, gorgeous, like striking, striking woman. And on top of it, boy, can she sing. My God. Now, would would you say, uh, Coach Castleton, that um, she was going to rise like the break of dawn? (laughs) Right, exactly. Is that that what it is? Right. The perfect girl is gone. That's Um, great. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. I love that this was the song that she did. I also, that, I'm very familiar with that song because I have three nieces. um, And I Mm -hmm. do actually love that line about the perfect girl being gone because of the ways that women are conditioned to act in appropriate manners, even though those aren't always especially satisfying and that not paying attention to that is what Rebecca needs in order to become a better person. Like the person that Rupert wanted her to be, isn't a good person for her. So now she needs to get rid of that perfect girl in order to become a better person. 
I also really loved that it's this scene seemed to mirror Nate and Roy, that Nate had to give Roy some really hard truths. And then Roy went out and kicked ass and that Sassy gave Rebecca some really hard truths. And then she went up there and sang the fucking face off of that song. Yes. Like boss, I don't know what you would have done with that last half semester. (laughs) You like, I don't even know if I'd be allowed to talk to you if you had finished that was so freaking good. That was so good. I'm like sitting over here like, Oh, Holy crap. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Go, go Absolutely on. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, and, and you're talking about like, we've, we've said how this show is a lot about masks and, and taking your mask off. And this, the lyrics on this of like, you know, don't let them in, don't let them see, you know, all mm-hmm. that conceal, don't feel, mm-hmm. don't let them know. Mm-hmm. This is, this is applicable. Just like you said to, Roy, I mean, how many people, Roy, Sam, like, you know, it's like go down mm-hmm. the list, everybody but Danny, basically. Mm-hmm. Because it, yeah. it, Danny has too much love in his heart to put a mask on that. That's right. Why? He, he is what he is. Tough but fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Ro- roast um, me, amigo. Roy mouthing the lyrics is a highlight it of is. the season. Oh yes. my God. Because, I because all right, yes, he has the niece, so it's character wise, we buy it, right? Each of us is like, yes, if you had kids of a certain age around you around this time, like you know this song like no other. So you buy it, but then there's something in the way he's smiling and the way he's mouthing it that says somewhere along the way this guy took a minute and really thought about this song. Oh, he loves it. And, yeah, no, he lo- he really loves right? the song, yeah. And I and and I don't know that I don't that yeah that's that sang so to speak to me like it was really was like a, like magic. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's he's done downward dog to this song with his absolutely his, yes. <laughs> that's great. That's I, great. I I will I will quote a friend of mine, um, my dear friend Koji, who not only said that she would climb Roy Kent like a tree, but also that nice. the scenes with him hanging out with Phoebe or doing things that Phoebe would be interested in are basically her porn. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. I understand. <laughs> feel you on that one. <laughs> He's like, oh, he held her oh. hand. He held her hand. He tucked her into bed. It's great. Uh, that's so damn funny. We, I was talking about this, like, what are people's porn the other day? Um, but, uh, Juliana and I were joking um, that we have, we're so bit, four kids, both work like crazy, both have all kinds of, you know, people working with us and for us. And it's, it's crazy. It's, it's been absolutely nutty. So that when certain tasks get done in the house, it's basically foreplay. <laughs> so, so like, if I, if I walk into the bathroom and I see like that, the, the soap dispensers have be, been refilled. I'm like, Oh, you naughty girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. So, yeah. That is so funny. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, so you're, I get your friend. Your friend makes a lot of sense. I, hey, he is. He he is. I, I mopped the kitchen. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yep. Because we know you saved. You, it was either you or me. Nobody else on right. this planet is going to do that. And right. you know, it's whatever. It's great. But I mean, there is something. To be, I get where it's. It's just said Koji, right? Uh, yeah, her name is actually Jory, but that's a, another one of those friendship jokes. Got it. Well, she, know. she, she makes, know she's um, Koji. There, there is something about like the, the, you know, untouchably gruff Viking who holds hands with, you know, Phoebe and stuff and reads her books in bed. And I mean, it is, it yes. is good Lord. That's charming. If, 
if you want to be like the mandalorian sorry guys no 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 it's exactly like that like a a big tough bearded guy uh playing a tea party with a little girl give me a break and also a new pair of pants (laughs) because mine are wasted (laughs) (laughs) and you just told a pause joke that was awesome So <laughs> a pair of pants. So so Rebecca's singing. It is absolutely stunning. It, 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 people are getting like legit hyped up. Roy is mouthing the lyrics, right. but like Keely's freaking out. People are like, "Oh my god!" Like, "Oh my right. god!" Is that right. good? And Ted, we start to like get a little fisheye lens on Ted, mm-hmm. and we start to see his hands shift. We get a uh, you know close up of his hands, and we see. Um, you know, Coach, I hate to do this to you because I know we're going into hour 17, but you noted the hands and I wanted you to like, if you could, to talk about the hands being set up because I thought that was a really great piece yeah. of storytelling. Yeah, no, they, right away, there's some, there was something cooking with his hands right off the bat when he first got to, right, when he first got to, was it, was it the pilot where we, we, I think we established it in the pilot, right? Um, yeah, it might have been. They stand at the side of the field when they're uh, the first practice. Remember what you said to me before our first no, practice? No. Cut, yeah, the, right. cut your ponytail. Yeah. Lose the ponytail, right. Exactly. I um, I had stress once in my life and my hands peeled. Oh. Yeah. I had to wear like, uh, I had to put like, I don't know what it was. I had this terrible job that I hated. And um, like one day, like all the skin on my hands, like just started peeling. I was like, what in the, f-? you know, it's crazy what your body does to like wow. wake you up. You know, hey dummy, yeah. you you're not enjoying your life. Yeah. Oh, I am. And how do I yeah. know? This is bad, right? You're, well, your hands are peeling. <laughs> All of so your hands that. are yeah. You have snake skin on your hands. Um. So yeah, this the the Ted's they did this great extreme close up of the hands, and they they always mm-hmm. do. I mean, technically they do such a great job in the show. We have different camera angles. We have the audio shift, so you you have this like canned, far away mm-hmm. sort of audio. You they they throw in like. What sounds like a kettle whistling, like a tea kettle whistling. Mm-hmm. It's just like crazy. What happens to Ted there, boss? He has a full-on panic attack and has to leave. And it's a, it, like an amazingly shot scene because the audio is a little bit weird when it's on Ted. When it's experiencing it through Ted's eyes and ears, everything's a little bit off. And then you cut back and everybody's fine. And it's exactly how those situation feel, situations feel like. I don't know why I can't catch my breath. I don't know why I can't breathe. I don't know why I'm freaking out. It, it, like, just nothing feels right. And so he starts to leave the club and he's like it, trying to get himself together. He hears Michelle say Ted and he hears Henry say dad. And then Rebecca says Ted and like starts to settle him down and it starts to get him to breathe again. Bone, you ever have a panic attack? I have. I luckily haven't had any severe ones. It's usually like I won't feel great for an hour ish. And then somewhere near the end, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I think I'm having a panic attack. Like all of a sudden you're like, so the reason that your mind was racing and you felt panicky was probably because you were having a panic attack. But luckily, never anything like Ted's just low level. What about you, coach? I've been pretty close to where Ted was, a little different. Um, but one, one in particular that I remember, I'd been, you know, I'd come out to LA. The whole idea was going to go conquer the movie industry, look out Spike Lee. And, um, my partners and I had a project out in the world and we finally got it out there. The agents are shopping it. And it's actually this kind of could be exciting time. 
and I was standing in my living room and I forget what news I got about who had it next or whatever. And as I hung up my phone, the walls of my living room started to slide toward me, which seemed odd. Oh, God. Yeah. No, it was bad. Like, I couldn't breathe and it felt like the the, the actual room was going to crush me. Uh, it's not the only one I've ever had, but that's the one that really sticks out in my mind as, like, classic, like, this is not good. And I remember sitting down and trying to remember how to breathe. Like, 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 as if I needed to like crack open a manual and be like, step one. Like, yeah, like I had to try to remember how to breathe in that moment. I, uh, I only had one, uh, during my divorce and it was like, oh my God, it was so bad. And, and I am a person who I don't feel a lot of anxiety because I'm not, um, what's the word? Intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just distract if I'm like, oh, hey, like, man, I'm starting to feel stressed. I'm like, I'm going to make myself a big ass sandwich or, or I'm like, I'm going to go watch, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever. Uh, Game of Thrones. Um, Game of Thrones. So whatever. I'm, I usually distract it, but there was one day, man, and this was hardcore and it was so foreign to me because I'm like, I can't believe like, you know, God complex me who can handle anything it, like this could be possibly happening. That was part of what was going on too. And, and I was like, um, I started to smell a smell from my childhood that I couldn't place. It was like burnt toast, but it wasn't quite, it was like maybe some form of Greek cookie that my mom used to make when I was a kid. Maybe I couldn't really place it. And I felt like if I could place it, my mind was going to a place where if I could place it, I would die. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And so, and I Ooh. knew for a fact, like I knew for a fact, like this is it. I felt the, the onset wow. of death. Um, and I, and I am not a person that says things like that at all. Trust me. I'm like, get, you know, get mm-hmm. over it, buddy. Mm-hmm. But I was like, this is, this is it. This is it. This is what, this is the end. Wow. And, um, so only one time in my life, thank God. But like these things are no joke. Yeah. And I think they did it justice. And I love that a sh- that a show like this tackles mental illness and and stress and anxiety and loneliness and and the utter misery of change and how it it makes everything better if you can do it. But like people struggle with change at all times. I mean, like there is a case to be made that everything going on politically in the world is just people unable to accept change. So I mean, there's so much. Mm. So much change all around us at all times, and you can be resistant to it. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, your body ha- has mechanisms that will will just make you stop. Yeah. Yeah. I actually – one of the things that I love so much about the timing of this scene was that it wasn't immediately after the game was over. But it was enough time after the game was over that Ted couldn't focus on the game anymore. Yes. And I think that he had been using that as a distraction from all of his anxiety and the depression and his feelings about the divorce. And once that had sort of broken, there was nothing left for him besides having this panic attack about his divorce. Yeah, that's right. I love that. One thing I'll highlight here, because I think there is a lot around community and team and teams got a bond and we'll see some more stuff as the, as, as the season, you know, continues to unfold is there's no lonely, like lonely in a crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's mm-hmm. no lonely, like being in a crowd of people and feeling utterly alone. And I think you're right, Coach, when you point out, like he's not sitting next to Beard and he's not, you know, ruffling uh, uh, Nate's hair or saying, you know, good job today, buddy, or told you it'd be fun. Like he is alone. 
And um, there's just, you know, to watch him go through the crowd and go through the club and everybody's having their fun. And he just could not feel more alone in the world. I thought that yeah. was a You're right. powerful Totally right. And he asks, when, when Rebecca starts to help him snap out of it, she, he's asked if I'm going crazy. And she says, no more than anyone mm-hmm. else, which I thought was like really, mm-hmm. really great mm-hmm. response from her. And and I got the sense that the warmth and strength that Sassy was referring to in that conversation came out as she really took care of Ted in this scene. Like it was so yes. genuine and so uh, yes. present with him. It wasn't like, oh God, I got to deal with this guy that works for me. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I care about this human being. And I thought like, you know, she got him, she offered him a car ride. You know, he's going to go go home. You know, once he started breathing again, She's like, can I give you a car? Like, you just got to get home, whatever. And as he walked away in that red light, um, I was wondering, like, does she know what his panic attack is about? Or does she think maybe she played a role in this? I mean, she knows he's getting a divorce, um, you know, if only because it was the topic of one of their biscuit with the boss sessions. So she knows she she knows there's something to that. Um and I think she probably, you know, she certainly hasn't done anything to decrease his stress level. So, yeah, I think I think there's I think she's aware. And, you know, here he was saying, hey, come stand by the fire and be warm and be part of the group and have a little mezcal and do your thing. And meanwhile, she's like figuring out how to make sure he doesn't make it and that he fails miserably. So, yeah, I think I think that was some of what was in there. I mean, I think that she definitely knows about the marital issues. And I'm sure that, you know, word has gotten around the clubhouse that he's getting divorced. I think if this had come after uh, a loss where they know that they're facing relegation and he was concerned about that, I I would imagine that she would feel more responsible. But it came after a win, a win that they hadn't had Mm. for 60 years. Like if there was ever a job related time that he was going to feel great about himself, it was going to be this. And this is when he had the panic attack. So interesting that you say that I, I I'm now wanting to kind of go down the road you're on. And, and one of the things I do in my coaching is I talk to people about what we call the point. And instead of just setting goals, which is like what you want, we also talk about why you want it, which is the, expo- the emotional experience you expect to go along with your what. And there's nothing like getting your what and not your why, mm-hmm. because then it's a it's an empty victory. And that's the worst. I wonder if in some ways it's worse. That if, if you lose and you feel like crap, it's because you lost. But if you win and you feel like crap, you got to figure out why. Yep. And and that's usually a much bigger why. It's a, yes. So we're back in the te- uh, with Ted in the hotel room. Now he is he is recovered. He's not panic attacking anymore. He is. Yes. Com- com- comported himself, his hair is back to perfect, and the song "Strange" by Celeste starts playing. Oof. Now this is a this is a doozy. Um, this song, my God, um, <laughs> isn't it strange? I'm still me, you're still you, in the same place. Isn't it strange how people can change from strangers to friends, friends into lovers, and strangers again? Back to this room, back to our roots. What did we lose? What did we lose? If I could, I'd pull your strings for one more dance, but I can't. Say, isn't it strange? Isn't it strange? Uh, so, yeah. Ted, this song is playing. Ted reaches for his pen. He's he's 
He sits in front of his divorce papers. He's going to confront it. Let it go was was the song that snapped him out of this. Got to let it go. Time to throw the grenade. He fixes the fallen soldier, which I love, before he takes the pen. He signs his divorce papers. We visually stay on his face. We don't look at him taking the picture, although we hear it. We stay on his face. We don't see him type in and send this, the email, but we hear we hear that sound, and we know at that moment his, his marriage is over. Poof. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and here's the best yeah. thing. He looks in the mirror, and what does he do, Coach? He smiles at himself. And and for me, the, the smile is him saying to himself and for himself what he promised Michelle, which is, I'm going to be okay. And I think what we saw earlier, it's like, if I'm not Michelle's husband and I'm not this family man, like, that's who I am. Like, you, you can't just snatch away my, like, very identity. Like, who am I if I'm not those things? And for me, right to me right now, he looks in that mirror and he says, I'm Ted Lasso. And so whatever that means, Ted Lasso just got a divorce. Everybody heard the whoosh. The, the email's gone. But I'm still I'm still here. I'm still Ted Lasso. What's next? And And he was present there with himself in a way he couldn't be present. He looked away from the mirror earlier, right? He needed the booze. He needed whatever. This is him sober, sober light of day, like literally in his sober version saying, yeah, I'm Ted Lasso. This is what's happening. This is the moment I'm in. Okay. I got it. I'm accepting the moment. You remember what? Go ahead, boss. I I was just going to say one of the other things, um, a friend of mine got divorced And one of the things that she said afterwards is people live in constant fear that the worst thing that could happen will happen. And then once after the worst thing that could happen has happened, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. And I think that there was an element of that. Like, yeah, you know, he's in a bad spot, but also Mm -hmm. like he doesn't have to fight against it anymore because it happened. I mean, Ted, if you sign that divorce paper, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, he, you yeah. know, we watch Nate do it, right? And we think, oh, ha, 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 at least he didn't stammer this time. And, you know, it's, a, you know, it works character wise, but that's the same moment Ted's in. Yeah. Fellas, yeah. we're broken. We need to change. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And, and then, and it requires being brave. And I thought this was maybe Ted's bravest moment that we've seen yet. And 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 uh, inc- he didn't beam at himself in the mirror. He fought that smile into existence. And and I thought, man, that is, dear God, what it takes to get to that point. I I every time I think this show can't get better, <laughs> I just go, mm-hmm. oh my God, the depth mm-hmm, of these mm-hmm. characters and the small moments that mean so much. And you think about people watching the show with profound anxiety and self-doubt and confusion and see somebody like Ted stand up that soldier and, and gird his defenses soberly, not, not like, just like you said, bright light of day and, and make that decision, man. I, I just, 
I think it does wonders and it's an unbelievable role model. Um, and we're talking about a dumb comedy based on like a, based on a stupid ad campaign. Like what the f- how? It's ridiculous. How? It's ridiculous. What's happening? Do you think, what is happening? Do you think there's an alternate reality where someone's doing this podcast about the uh, cavemen? I mean, it's, it's equally, you know, it's equally believable. Like that's, that's what this should have been is a, a, th- a complete throwaway. They just fucking knocked it out of the park with the Geico caveman show. Yeah, no, seriously. Maybe. I've never seen a better emotional, emotionally deep character than Ugg. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, um, okay, now we cut to, whew, we need a break, because you go on an emotional roller coaster, you got to lighten it up. So they, they, they bounce us right to everybody leaving karaoke. Um, Sassy goes off with the team. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, I got I to gotta yeah. call this one piece out, which is... Not only is Nate being carried out, right? So he's had his moment and this is truly his triumph. We've gone from like the one we make fun of and throw our sweaty clothes in his face to he is being carried out of the bar. He's being carried by Colin and Isaac. Yes. Like, wow. Who he was sitting next to and taking shots with in the bar. That's right. A few scenes before. Yeah. Nope. Absolutely. I meant to call that out. So thank you for doing that. So um, Sassy goes off with the, the boys to drink. Rebecca offers Keely a ride, and she says, no, I think I'm going to walk, actually. And then mm-hmm. what amazing shot do we get at that point, boss? Woo! We get Roy Hent <laughs> waiting just off to the side for Keely, <laughs> and it's happening. Fe- it's finally happening. I feel like I like need like a fainting couch when I see him waiting there. I'm like, oh, oh dear God. God. Like I need to fan my face. In in one of the four rewatches that I did this morning, I was trying to see if I could follow him coming out of the bar to see where he was. Mm. They didn't do that, but there is like sort of an overhead shot where he's already off to the side away from the crowd, like Interesting. not even pretending that he's not going home with Keeley. I didn't think of it until this moment, but it's interesting that Sassy heads off with the boys and Keely heads off with her man. And it's very clear, like the the energy is different. The whole thing's different. He is a grown man with his jacket on. Like they're wearing no shirts jumping around. He's got a jacket on. He gives a like very respectful, like nod, like, you know, we're all adults here to Rebecca. No, 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 Um, no. Wait, hold on. I got to jump in. He salutes Rebecca. Yeah, that's true. That's actually right. You're right. Rebecca salutes him first, like a salute. And he salutes her back. And I was like, oh, my God. I was so psyched. Something about the salute gesture. I know. He's he's all in black. He is. He looks like the sheriff of Nottingham. He doesn't have anything but black on him. I mean, the guy is like, you know, he's just, oh, my God. He's just very cool. It's very cool. And, And she's very cool. They're just, they're just like, I can't remember the last time. I, I don't, you know what? Shipping to me is a very millennial thing. And I don't feel like, I could be wrong. It could be just an old fart. But I don't know if it's as much a Gen X thing to give a shit about people getting in relationships. But I feel like it, it hasn't been since like Moonlighting or Cheers that I was hmm. like this invested in two people getting. <laughs> like that's like. What, well, 25 years? Like, I'm like, I, I yeah. just, I've never really, I'm like, okay, if they get, to, I don't give a shit. But this one, I'm like, oh my God, these are like, these people are meant to be. They need to be mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was the weirdest concept. But anyway. Well, we have nothing else to believe in. Yeah. Millennials. Right, no. We got nothing. 
Yeah. Although right. also I will point out Nick Miller and Jessica Day was a very heavily shipped couple. You're missing out on that one, Coach Castle. No, 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 no. I t- no, actually that's I may, I definitely had no. I mean that's an amazingly shipped couple. Yes. No, that I Oof. maybe I stand corrected. I I definitely had some Oof. of I still it wasn't this for me. Um so yeah. It's funny because I know the the creator of of New Girl and and um, not not well, but no, I know her, and I I, I just so every time I see Jess, I always think of her, and then so it, it never, you know what I mean? I wasn't mm. like completely suspension of disbelief, you know what I mean? So, mm. but can you uh, tell me what Nick Miller smells like? I've never met him. No, 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 I have not met. Damn it! I have not, <laughs> I have not, I have not <laughs> he seems he seems super cool, and um, uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure he's dirty though. No problem. He does not. Yeah, I don't. I doubt very much that he's a uh, he's a Pablo Shriver. And I am saying that in the best way. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think he's got a little dinge to him, but in in a in a great way. Um, he's awesome. Love him. Love her. Ever, love, you're picking great characters here. Um, anyway, really, really invested in Roy and Keeley. Um, and then we cut to you know we see them go off. And right away, we we bump them to the hallway. We move to the hallway. They're coming towards us, toward camera. She's like, uh, you know, she does the thing where she's like, hey, I'm sharing a suite with Rebecca. This is me. I'm sharing a suite with Rebecca. But we have separate bedrooms, though. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Roy just steps into it. <laughs> yeah. he, just, he just plants one on her. A real good one. Yep. And then he, he does this thing. He is such a great character. I mean, God, Brett Goldstein, Jesus Christ. Juno Temple. I mean... He stands back and he nods at her, like, like he nods, yep. and he says good night. And I cackled laughing. Well, well, part of the beauty of it is he is he is a full grown man, no question about that. Chest hair, beard, like he's he's a man, right? But in this moment, he he feels to me he feels more like my fourteen year old self liking some girl and wanting to act like I knew what to do next and not being a hundred percent sure what was the next best idea, but he's still Roy. So you get like, he obviously, it's obviously not like his first, you know, his first rodeo. Um, but I, I like that. There's something in the performance that really spoke to me and that awkward mm-hmm. feeling you're going to have when you really like somebody, not like I want to sleep with you, but like, I want to spend all moments from now until eternity in your presence. Yes. Oh my God. I mean, maybe, uh, I mean, you think about Roy and like maybe his most charming quality is his smoldering vulnerability, you know? I, so I have a lot to say about this. I'm probably going to have a lot more to say about it <laughs> next week though, because there are some things that come up mm-hmm. that greatly impact my viewing of this scene. So mm-hmm. I, I will be jumping back here to this spot to talk about this thing that happened. But I've got Perfect. a lot to say. So Keely checks her breath, and she's not sure why he backs off. Um, this is not this is not how you this this Keely knows this dance, and this doesn't usually go this way. So she's she's a little confused. Rebecca's having a cocktail, waiting for Jeff. She gets a text from Ted. What does the text say, boss? Uh, it says, thank you for being so kind, not just tonight, but through this whole adventure. It's really been something else. Right. Right. Which is. Yikes. Yep. Yep. That's 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 a lot. But before she can really process it, um, Jeff becomes available. And one of my favorite moments of the scene, the other waiter watching <laughs> him go off 
uh, shakes his head like, Jesus Christ, like that guy. Some <laughs> guys have all the money. That's it. That's it. I, I need a nice acapella version of that right now. Thank you, coach. Um, just amazing. And, and I was like, okay, is it, is this like, so, okay. And, and we, we, you know, we should, um, I think we're, we're at the 30 minute mark on the, on this podcast. <laughs> oh, no, no, we're a bit over that. Um, before, what I'll say is I was, I s- sat back and I thought, you know, this is the thing that Rupert does. Where, where by virtue of his status, prestige, and financial like situation, he gets his pick of handsome young women, and I was like, isn't this like a reversal of fortune? Isn't this sort of a uh, incredible empowerment that Rebecca's like, fuck it, I can do it too. I'm really curious to hear what Boss thinks of that. Yeah, no, what I'm thinking is I never have an issue with a person, either coupled or not. If there's not an expectation of monogamy on a person and they use their charms or physicality or whatever attractive features they have in order to sleep with people that they find attractive, I'm on board. I'm I'm fully in favor of that. If Rupert were a single man or if Rebecca, he and Rebecca had an understanding and he was betting a bunch of hot ladies, like I'm fine with that as long as everybody is upfront and knows what's happening. So if Rebecca is doing something that Rupert used to do, the difference is how is it different from what he used to be doing? And his was wrapped in deceit and betrayal and cheating on Rebecca where she's like, we're both adults and I'm hot and rich. So maybe we should go bone. I'm, I'm good with it. So we, we have the, um, um, we have a shot now of Ted just watching TV and and his, I couldn't make out what he's watching. Could you guys figure out what he was watching? I didn't, couldn't get a sense of it. Nah. Yeah. I don't think they gave us enough, but there's a knock on his door and who is waiting at the door? Boss. Sassy, 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 not really waiting at his door, though, is the thing. Sassy knocking on Mm -hmm. the door, and as soon as he opens it, just marching on through, because the woman knows what she wants. One of the hottest moments in show history. I I was like, whoo! I'm not not Sassy's biggest fan, but I was like, like, wow, that's a fucking power move right there. Mm Yeah, that was impressive. My only critique is that when she walked past him, she walked butt past instead of front past. If you really wanted to nail that home, there should have been more almost face-to-face contact. You know, just a tip for the directors for next time as as a a woman with experience. Mm -hmm. Wait, she she turned away from him in the the door to get through? When she walks past him, she shows him her back instead of her front. It would have been hotter if she'd gone front first. I got to agree. Mm-hmm. God, this show, all this show does is screw up, right? Somebody call 911 because boss just dropped a seduction <laughs> bomb. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The, the cackle is the second half of my seduction, though. I, I do yeah, the right, sexy walk in. <laughs> And then I blow up the witches of Eastwick directly in their eardrums. <laughs> uh, so Ted closes the door and we are out. That is the episode. 
Season one, episode seven, make Rebecca great again of the Ted Lasso show. Dear heavenly God, we did it. We did it. We made Here's it. a piece of trivia for our fans. This recording is longer than the running time of the season of Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so we're, we're not kidding that. when we say deep dive. It's true. Um, boss, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at dumbly underscore chambers on Twitter. It's dumbly like Emily, except I'm dumb in the front. <laughs> what about you? What about you, coach? Uh, Twitter at OG Bishop and uh, IG. We are at BK to LA. That's Brooklyn to LA. Because just having one social media platform isn't enough for a man. Hey, man. Like, hey, man. Got, got to get the people. I get get the people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, you don't do enough singing on this show. I think I speak for Bone when I say you just don't oh, do God. enough. Yes. You had a beautiful singing voice, you know? You got to let it go, coach. Let mm-hmm. it go. There you yeah, go. It's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I am at Lord Castleton on Twitter. If you have enjoyed this episode. Um, it's, Seek professional it's, help. Yeah, I mean, right. I we we hope we're adding something to your life at this point. If you if you're hate listening to this, <laughs> it's it just might be really destructive. But we really appreciate it. Um, thank you mm-hmm. if you've made it this far. You probably tend to agree with us on most of these things, and and you like what you're hearing. Um, like, subscribe, review, do everything that people do with podcasts to to try to big them up, and that always helps. Uh, until next week. We are, I mean, boy, are we rich until we die. Um, Now more than ever, three more episodes left. We hope you'll join us for all of them, and we will see you next time. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and The Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.